Palmer and all time Bimsy. Respect, Joe. Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. here in the nick of time dinner is here now and everyone's all warm and cozy in the stream channel hi um i posted our who's online right now in voices voice if you guys want to take a look um but yeah so tonight we're going to talk about mobile device security and we are joined here by <laughs> agit pie <laughs> <laughs> really welcome yeah, yeah. Quite a guest we have. FCC representing. Um, yeah, I uh, no, I just didn't update properly. I can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> we also have Trojan, a Trojan. If you're there, I'm not sure if you're on it. I'm so pissed about the FCC. What's going on? People don't fuck Um, think going down the list there. Cozy Bear. Cozy Bear, I'm a pen tester and kind of a newer person on here. Is that me now? Is it, uh, it's DNZ. Uh, I didn't think of a witty name this week, really. So, um, uh, I do all kinds of computer stuff currently, uh, I'm an independent researcher, and uh, if you're looking for someone to do that, you can hit me up on Twitter. Four octets? Yeah, I'm four octets. I work in a sock in the daytime. I do Android security, uh, poke at embedded garbage, and sometimes malware stuff in my free time. Hell yeah. Jin, are you there? Can you read us? Jin. I think Jin is also uh, AFK right now. Can you keep moving on? 
MG. I am uh, walking in traffic. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's not Dan. I am. I am here. I made it. I'm in a uh, island, according to my emojis. <laughs> emojis are one of the soul. Yes. Faith. Hi, Faith. Hi, it's Faith. Uh, salty penetration test. Uh, general old guy. Kind of an asshole. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Pico. Pico. Oh wait, he had a call in or something, didn't he? Oh, he did. Uh, so I'm here. I'm What's up, Reeby? Yep. And we have Shell. Yep. Yep, that's me. We have Shell. Um. <laughs> all right. Yeah. We're still trying to get our introductions thing down. It's hard because we do it on Discord, and it's just a tough thing to try to manage. But. We're rocking it. <laughs> All right, yeah, so let's get into what we're doing today. So we're gonna talk about mobile device security. And we have a couple people here who have done some interesting stuff with uh, everything from uh, Android malware to just general tomfoolery, roughhousing rough with phones. Uh, <laughs> and so- Is that how they call it? Mobile. Yeah, they call it roughhousing, horseplay. It's, it's mobile roughhousing. <laughs> Roughhousing. It's not. It's not that big of a crime. It's just a roughhousing. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, we have that. And before we do that, we're gonna have about forty-five minutes to an hour-ish of news. We're probably gonna try to keep it a little bit shorter because we have a lot to say about mobile device security. Yeah. Um, so if anybody has any um, questions, you can always put them in the chat, and we'll be listening. Sorry about the speakers and the bass. We uh, we keep it really G around here, so it's sorry hard. about the bass. Who's complaining about bass? What the fuck? <laughs> Somebody maybe who had, who had headphones GTFO, on. GTFO, man. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Stay, um, please. So, yeah, I guess let's get right into the news here. Um, so the first thing that we have, um, it's kind of funny. Is, so Agitpi, our friend on the stream, which I don't know why your name isn't showing up in stream as Agitpi. Maybe it's just an alias for, hasn't been updated correctly, but... Um, no, so, I changed changed it back, but uh, oh, okay. it didn't it didn't update properly to begin with, yeah. Um, so yeah, former FCC chairman, uh, so Agitpy lied about the DDoS that happened on the net neutrality forum. So I don't know if you guys remember, like a couple of years ago, um, they were doing the public comment forum um, on some stuff on the FCC's website, and they had said that a DDoS attack had taken it down, but it was proven that there was no attack recorded that day. And it was kind of more of a sorry we got hacked kind of excuse to cut off public discourse on their forums there. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, it, I guess at least they copped to it eventually because, like, what the hell? Like, you're going to put a wild goose chase on for that bullshit? Because he, <laughs> he was adamant about it. He was adamant about it being a DOS attack. And it, it seemed like a good target at the time, so I don't think anybody questioned it. Yeah, I mean, it seemed possible. This seemed like a thing that would happen from you know some corner of the internet. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of sketchiness that's happened with um the way that they handle sort of like just trying to not discuss things they don't want to, or trying to sway people's opinions. Like when they were botting their own uh their own comment section too, with like the same exact stuff over and over again, like just really amateurish bot stuff. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's senators whose names were actually. 
Yeah. They weren't even good. The the bots, like you said, they weren't even like good bots or like hard to distinguish. It was like obvious horrible. <laughs> I, I've heard it from someone before, but like if you're gonna be a bad internet man, be good at being a bad internet man, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Be good at being bad if you're gonna be yeah. I mean, you could take a look at your spam folder and you could see some like better text spinning. <laughs> but I think as well, like, do you guys remember, uh, so at this time, I guess the, the Norse map would have, like, the Pew Pew map would have st still been around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, would would people not have just opened up the thing and been like, hey, there's no there's no Pew Pew lines going from, like... Oh, wait a minute. To the, to the but I just saw a few. They just went to it. That must have been it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was a telnet connection. <laughs> um, that fucking thing worked though, right? Like it was just it was confirmation bias, really. If you yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like amazing. it could be. It, it was like unauthentic. Like if if you failed authentication on like telnet or something, it was like yeah, that's an attack because they tried to brute force it. I thought it was random. I thought they had a random function in the the freaking thing, and it was. Uh, I, w final. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's, maybe that's another cover-up. <laughs> the, the net neutrality thing is a really great study in just, like, propaganda and, and public relations because, you know, back in, back in 2014, I don't know what happened in 2014, but in 2017, you've got, uh, you've got all the big ISPs sending out uh, emails to all of their customers, and they're sending out emails saying, uh, you know, please protect uh, uh, or please support restoring internet freedom. And they give these people a direct link to the comment uh, section with a pre-programmed uh, response, which I, I think that's what a lot of the bot, like quote unquote bot traffic was, was just these prepackaged comments. And, you know, it just, it, it, it made it really hard to talk about net neutrality at the time because you've got the ISPs supporting something called restoring internet freedom. And you've got like the, uh, you know, electronic freedom foundation supporting something called open free internet. And it was just a mind fuck. And you know, <clears throat> it's just speculation, but it would seem like they expected to have a lot more traffic from the ISPs uh, for restoring internet freedom and they got a lot more traffic, you know, actually supporting net neutrality. <clears throat> so they just said, shut it down, fucking shut it down. That's how it comes across to me. And let's call it a DDoS attack. Fuck the FCC is what it comes down to in the end. Wow. I'm losing my voice. This is going to be great. Some nice climbing shit, but, um, but like, uh, it's, it's so bullshit because one of the things that I think confuses a lot of people, like I've had people say to me, like, oh, like this net neutrality shit is bullshit. And it's like, but the way that it's like people have been given the words like to be against, uh, you know, like to keep the, the internet open is they're saying like, fuck net neutrality. And it's like, wait, what? What do you like? Uh, <laughs> the way it's the way it's being spun is a little bit kind of like, Wait, what words are you supposed to say that is the good side? Yeah, yeah that's actually how uh, that's how the the stuff happened in California with Prop Eight. I think. The yeah. They did the reverse thing with 
you you want to vote actually no for it and that means voting yes that's pretty uh interesting how people will in good faith uh parrot things but parrot the wrong things sometimes yeah you vote no on something to vote essentially be voting yes on something else yeah so to be clear everybody net neutrality was good when it existed but now it doesn't so enjoy it's kind of like a crypto party when they're like they were when they were telling everybody to uh tour all the things they meant well but uh that's the incorrect information <laughs> absolutely so another fcc thing which i was like, interested in, in learning more about and i've been kind of kind of follow some of the stories here is that so there's been I, some weird stuff going on as far as stingrays being used uh, near the White House and in D.C. And they found a stingray like really close to the White House, and they had found stingrays in like other sort of like crucial locations. And the, there's not really been like much about it. Like you know, they're apparently like there's been a sort of like FCC, uh, FCC's had more of like a blase attitude, and it just seems like really weird. But it's just there. I mean, one of the things that was interesting that I, I saw um, or someone had mentioned was that uh, an MZ catcher could be used by somebody with diplomatic immunity and they wouldn't get in trouble for it. Hmm. I think Pike made an interesting point too, though. What was that? I'm sorry, my freaking thing popped up. Uh, Pike uh, had made a good point, though, which was, yeah, they don't care because it's theirs. It's their MZ catchers. <laughs> that was definitely what I thought straight away. Like, yeah, of course they're just going to shrug it off, be like, quick, turn it off before anybody notices. Yeah, and I feel like that. And also in the past, like, there have been cases where they've thrown out whole cases against people, you know, for like when that was have to be like, had to be brought up as evidence, they just threw out the whole case. Like the, there's a history of that happening in uh, you know in the courts. Uh, so I think a lot of this they just want to keep as hush hush about a lot of that as they can. Absolutely, law enforcement. Law enforcement has been denying that um, that that GSM can be intercepted for decades. Um, and the official stance would be to not um, not to rouse the rabble on this subject with misinformation. So don't talk about it. Stingrays don't exist. Your local police department has one, but they don't exist officially. Don't you can build one out of a SDR. You can build a, like the yeah, 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 you can be, you can build all kinds of things, smart guy. <laughs> I mean, there was the uh, the the guy who had uh, two RTL SDRs, where he removed the oscillator from one and then synced the clock from the other, and he was able to do. I think it was just GSM, maybe two uh, two G, uh, just with that. LTE with two of those, can't you? I don't sure. think the spectrum is wide enough for LTE. Maybe it is like, uh, but it's all about this. Yeah, uh, with a with the Blade RFs, you can you can do LTE. Oh yeah, that's what I have. Sorry, I thought that's what you were talking about. No, no, I'm talking about like the eight dollar fucking <laughs> SDRs. Right, nice. But during like DefCon, um, I think it was some like was it last year or the year before. I can't remember. There was like something like forty like fake cells were on the strip during DEFCON that just like came up and went down and like who owned them hackers or feds or 
who are telcos do you, nobody knows like they just appear and then they leave so like the, the flip side of this in the, in the article they're talking about all of the embassies that they that the independent researchers found stingrays uh near and uh it is it is possible i guess that those are our stingrays spying on the embassies and that's why they were at like hostile kind of embassies that was just something that struck me when i was reading that it's totally possible that this is just them not acknowledging uh sort of clandestine operation happening yeah it's hard to get a straight answer about stuff like this i mean it's hard to get a straight answer about it even in court you know um it could go through a bunch of hoops to even prove that you were spied on or anybody even knows what empty catcher is so and, and the biggest part, too, like around the embassies is uh, it's not even necessarily for diplomats. It's also for tracking who's going near embassies, just as, like, personnel or and, and or people that they might already be tracking. Yeah, like, if we look at uh, Assange is hanging out in the embassy, uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy or whatever, like, it, it would be very easy to track who goes in, out, near, within, like, a radius of the, you know, yeah, and is that person related to any sort of program? Like, if you were looking for that kind of intelligence at that kind of, like, metadata-type way, and then you get all paranoid and you start using burner phones, and then you realize it's a waste of time. Well, so, that, Wait, I think Amgi and I had this discussion at some point, and it, it really comes down to, do you actually even need to do MZ catchers at this point? Because we just found out that AT&T and all the all the cell phone companies are just freely giving it away to be like at, at the base level to begin with. Yeah, they definitely like the telcos um, are sharing information with law enforcement. Uh, I believe like in, in depending on what information or warrants required, but there is some information I believe where warrants like in some jurisdictions where warrants aren't required for no, like no, the non- third party, dude. Remember the third party story? Like they were just giving fucking open access to this third party contractor that didn't do any kind of warrants or anything. They gave you free trials to use their service. And they yeah, got it's, it's fucking amazing. But uh yeah, I guess so like if but if you so if you were to use a stingray, you would either have to be like the private individual that's doing it, the or you didn't want anyone to know that you were doing it um, because you didn't want to contact the telco and have a paper record or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I, I don't know. It seems like inefficient to use a stingray these days. How do you guys <laughs> go about detecting MC catches and stingrays? So I, I have a friend who was in D.C. a few months ago and he, he came back and he was actually telling me he's really into his his androids and he was telling me about um how his connection was being forced down to 3g or 2g and he is just the kind of guy that is paying attention to this stuff and he, he came back and he's like yeah there's ton, there's tons of stingrays down there and i was just like well that yeah that that makes sense um but then the story just came out recently and I think I think that's probably the best best way to tell is just watch watch your connection to see if it gets forced down to a lower uh, a lower level. 
Yeah, I, I suspected mean, one before and I was looking at an app to see what my uh what like cell towers were nearby and what I was connected to. And there's some really weird ones. So a lot of them they they broadcast and you can see like the same that you would see any other node you'd be connected to on like a network. Um, but it broadcasts like an ID, broadcasts location, like the tower itself. And so there were some of them that were broadcasting and they were broadcasting their location as in the middle of the ocean. And they were had no name that they were putting out. They just had like mm-hmm. active number. And um, that was it. It was like the bare bones, like, you know, the same thing. It's just like connected to an IP address, so, like a domain or something or certs. And so um, it was really spec fishy. And I couldn't get any information from law enforcement about it, but I was I was trying to track it and see if it was uh, moving, and it was it wasn't. It was just in one location, and then I just kind of gave up on it because everyone thought it was really crazy, and I felt crazy. There's a, there's a few different things about like uh, cell towers as well as like the, there's different bands used by like licensed to different carriers and shared networks as well. So, um, like what frequency like your phones actually support is is one thing um so you'll, you'll know like yeah you, know, you won't be able to connect to certain networks in certain countries with different handsets or whatever so when we're talking about like at embassies and stuff um you know you need a phone that you know like has that uh radio but um the other thing is there's like websites like i think it's open open cell id which is a, a list of cell towers and it, it's um it's basically a community made map of like cell towers, their IDs, who they belong to, their geolocations, and and stuff like that. Um, and every cell tower, like you have like a, the list of partner cells or whatever that you can hand off to on that network. Like so, you can have a cell that uh, is claiming to be part of that network that isn't listed as a partner cell of um of any of its what should be its partner cells, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that could also be configuration, but you know that's a that's a thing. Yeah, um, you know, tracking your your public IP. You know, I I imagine like if you're on Verizon or something, your public IP would be part of like a, a certain block, you know, in in an area. So maybe if it changes, sort of to a random block, that might be an indication. Well, in Australia, that doesn't work it's actually funny with uh one of our major telcos here there's a round robin dns or there, ha- there has been for a long time maybe they've fixed it now but there's a round robin dns where when you hand it off uh to another tower and you went out via a different um like via a different route you would like round ro- like internally round robin between like three different states and so it would just be like yeah you're in you're on the other side of the country and you're like what <laughs> Um, so speaking of leaky things, not even, I, I'm still looking on the uh, transitions here. Um, so, <laughs> that, was, that was really seamless. So, uh, hackers stole over 20 million Ethereum from insecurely configured clients. So this is something I just wanted to put up there as like a, I don't know, kind of funny, but it's also a warning as well. Um, <clears throat> basically, people were scanning um, for port, uh, what is it? 8545, uh, JSON RPC port that's used by some Ethereum wallets. Um, because people have been stealing quite a bit of Ether. I stole uh, 38,642, which is like 20 million at the time, or 20, 20.5 million. Uh, which, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I don't, I don't really, I don't do any crypto stuff. So I'm not too keen on the way that like wallets and, and things like that work. But 
I think this was localhost stuff. Like it was supposed to be bound to localhost only, never exposed. Yeah. But and, but before I even opened it, I just assumed it would be like DNS rebinding to get it a local RPC interface or something. Yeah. It wasn't that. It seems that there's an option to enable the um, RPC interface on all interfaces in the client, and a lot of people have made that mistake. Um, one one thing <clears throat> I'll tell you guys about the crypto community is that everybody in the crypto community is a security penetration testing expert, apparently. So <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how on the ball these guys are. They're all they're all like fifty year plus exploit development veterans. Um, so they make these dumbass mistakes like <laughs> checking a box, leaving an RPC interface open. They don't know what RPC means. But they're security exploits, security experts. Um, you can see in so that. They keep seeing this shit over and over again, like the electron based localhost issues that, that Tavis pointed out. I just want to make it clear to everybody that Faith is being facetious. <laughs> you can see, though, in like the screenshot of this news article, this is on Hacking News, that, uh, that they're running the, this RPC uh, interface as root as well in the which is not on the line in the screenshot. <laughs> in the screenshot? And, um, on the oh my god. Yeah in yeah, the in the screenshot is, that 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 RPC is is for like if you've got like a web app or something that's gonna interact with uh, your Ethereum node, you know, that's supposed to be yeah like localhost. Um, why would you, so you even can, have you interact with the network not authenticated but also like, why wouldn't you fucking authenticate? The, the other thing is with the we there is an I'm pretty sure with uh, Ethereum at least with Bitcoin and a lot of the forks there's there's an authentication token or username or password on the yeah. RPC. Yeah. But um, but there, there was uh like the, look think about these boxes that are getting owned that are taking it. They have public IP addresses. Like these aren't like unless they're owning people's like you know like through their NAT and getting to their you know laptops. Which I don't think so. They're probably just showdanning for, you know, that port, and then going like, "Oh, look, some idiot runs a Ethereum wallet with Open RPC, yeah, like straight on the internet." Yeah, so, the, yeah, the way it works with Geth is, um, you've got you've got these wallets or like multiple wallets, and if you once you unlock it with with your password, because there is like an authentication system, but once you unlock it it's like unlocked for a, a period of time. I mean, it, it is just misconfiguration. They should never expose that port. It's, it's pretty much like, um, it's like how WordPress admins leave like the WP install and install the PHP and the readme, all that sort of stuff. They, they have no idea. Um, they, they're just following like a tutorial, a lot, especially with Ethereum because there's, there's dApps built on the Ethereum ecosystem. There's a lot of people that are just uh, running up uh, ERC20 coins, like they're running some other kind of network on top of the Ethereum network, and it's it's new. They're just trying to get in on an ICO or something. They need to fund like a, a node with a certain amount of Ethereum in order to participate in some ICO. Uh, so they just follow some tutorial uh, on a GitHub that was written like two days ago. Like here's how you get Blah token running on a on a VPS. Um, and they just follow the tutorial, and a lot of that involves like installing uh, Geth or Geth or whatever, um, or Ethereum wallet of some sort, and then opening up an interface and having some other app talk to it. Um, if you don't understand basics of security, uh, it's very easy to to slip up and not realize that 
that some service port is listing uh, for the whole internet to access. Um, so is this the same? Um, is this the same wallet that had there was a a Chinese uh, team that had a had a remote exploit last week? I think. Is this the same wallet? I mean, Geth Electron based. Yeah, but there was a specific like remote code execution that was uh, I don't know where it that is. Was, that was Electrum, I think. But yeah. um, there's a core one. Yeah. There's these these we're going to keep seeing these same sort of issues pop up again and again. Um, Ethereum's like the second biggest crypto network, but there's a lot of edge cases out there that are just as straightforward as this. Like there'll be some combination of uh, code base and and Dogecoin backend or whatever that a bunch of people are running on VPSs at the moment um, that have some some obscure port listing with his unauthenticated RPC interface. You can just steal all their shit coins. Well, yeah, um, just just on this topic, hands, do you think the plans that they handed out at uh, G7 about the the dash like the dash stuff we saw with Masternode coins? Um, we saw people leaving their like da their dash um, RPC interfaces open. Um, um, there was also Antminer, like that the uh, Bitmain, the Antminer RPC for CG Miner was left open on the default firmware. Um, Right. Which are an exploit for, and that was like all you needed to do. Like, I, you can have a look on my GitHub and read the exploit. It's pretty fucking simple. All it does is like you look on Shodan for the open RPC port, and then you give it a new mining pool, which is like one of the pools that takes just your wallet ID that you want the coins in as your, uh, as your, um, you know, target wallet. And then that machine, like you look for them on Shodan, that machine now mines for you until, like, until it gets rebooted or until somebody does something about it. And people were exploiting that at least a year and a half to two years before, like, I found it. And then, yeah. Like, and that, that's just a different, that's from a major player in the crypto world. That's not from, like, someone following a GitHub tutorial. That's from, like, a, a manufacturer of ASIC chips that yeah, sells it's these fucking that's, things. A, that's from Bitcoin.com. That's literally from Bitcoin.com. If Bitcoin.com can fuck up on their ant miners and make such a boneheaded security mistake, um, <laughs> what are the millions of other kids that are just duct taping uh, distributed apps together? going to do for security if bitcoin.com that's what they're going to do because they're actually pen testers that's yeah, one of the things i think is interesting about a lot of the like different crypto wallets and in, in minor interfaces and in, in software is you know like how many people are actually going through that and auditing and and checking to see if there are holes in it so there's a lot of blind trust in these developers yeah yeah there's a lot of blind trust in fans too Speaking um, of fan, I'll say... sorry. All right, continue. No, 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 continue. It's fine. Oh, I was just going to say, we have two <laughs> fan-related stories here. First one is um, this person, uh, actually, I'll, just, I'll, I'll put the Google translated tweet, I mean, uh, story in here. But so this is actually pretty interesting. There is an app of uh, football or soccer uh, app that basically has been trying to, well, the tweet says, thanks to GDPR, millions of users of the Spanish football app La Liga learned that this app can spy on bars and customers using microphones and GPS tracking to detect unlicensed broadcasting of matches. So reading through this, basically they were using the app um, to 
listen in for like audio signatures of the current um, football match they were using and using the GPS of the phone and being able to find out which pubs were broadcasting the show without a license. Hmm. Yeah, I saw this story. I, I didn't realize that's... I, I didn't that's read it clearly up. enough, apparently. That's interesting. Yeah, and first of all, up. genius. But yeah, fucked up. <laughs> I mean, the thing that we're going to have to go through to stop piracy, I mean, we have the ability to do that. And that's just going to put that idea into more and more people's heads to come up with weirder ways to kind of circumvent or abuse the laws to be able to do that. Um, that comes from uh, F. Calhouner. I'll just post their Twitter. In that. Yeah. I mean, the only reason we know about this is because of the new regulations, which we don't have in America. Man, I would not so... be surprised if this is not happening. So that's I, I like be... a top app, and nobody pen tested it, though, clearly. I mean, and like this, this show is about it, and so more people will hopefully be interested. But, man. That was a top app over there. Nobody noticed. It would be fun to fill that uh, monitoring network with a bunch of bogus data. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Just go uh, scream into your phone. <laughs> but every time, Just like replaying this, all the highlights and everything. Every time there's like a big title fight or something like that as well, like. You just go to any IRC, like IRC, any Discord, any Slack, anywhere that's got more than one person interested in it, and there'll be like 50 Pirates Sky TV streams that someone's like capturing, or like, you know, there'll be shitty ones that people are pointing cameras at their TVs, and then there's like 50 that are like HD quality, and then they go down one by one, and you just like click between them. I, I mean, so I'm glad that. Like, as far as is bringing in the income right like in the the major first world countries what like wwf is pretty aggressive over their stuff uh nfl like are any of these apps doing it currently and we just don't know because we haven't looked yeah we don't know because we don't have the the privacy regulation right yeah i mean wasn't ufc bitcoin mining on everybody they had yeah. really? <laughs> they had uh, bitcoin miner on it that's great. So did I think it was with it at one point? Can you just imagine like all these meatheads that don't know what Bitcoin is? Just they're like, we're just gonna make them all. <laughs> what <laughs> they do, they think that done. they're making money by watching it and being on the site. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, and another fan story uh, is the beautiful one that everybody's been speculating about, which is the suspicious little fans that were given out for the North Korea uh, Donald Trump um, meetup, their little uh, fan meetup there. They, um, so yeah, all the journalism people were given these like uh, free fans that plugged into micro USB ports and people have been kind of losing it over it. And I don't know if anybody's taken it apart yet. Or I if want anyone's one. Um, yeah. one. Somebody on the stream. So yeah. Um, if somebody on the stream has somehow has access to this, please, we will uh, make arrangements. Um, but so what's interesting is they're powered by micro USB, right? And it's, I mean, this is like one of those things where it's just it's sketchy enough to give to, to get like a, a random USB device, especially from North Korea. But all that aside, even you know saying like, oh, it'll power on your phone. I mean. There are fans like this. They use the audio jack, and they can draw what? the same amount of power from it. The audio jack? Yeah, I've seen stuff like that before, where you can power things off of it. I mean, I've seen yeah, there's, uh, 
it was a square it used to be it was i don't know if they're still around was the it was a magstrap reader off the audio jack on an iphone yeah, yep. but square yeah. was actually transmitting the audio though yeah and it's it, that's low power too a fan takes a decent amount of amperage there that's amazing yeah but i'm just saying like there are <laughs> We're different ways to give somebody something like this and it just seems like i don't know it just literally when i saw this it just like I was like immediately just freaked out by it, but I don't know. People have also been saying maybe it's a fan, but I feel like that's I just probably. It, I think it's just a fan, except for those five people that they targeted. And those yeah, five right. people are probably implanted and good to go. Yeah, most of them are fans. The rest of them are, uh, <laughs> they're made by uh, MG. Yeah, I was just going to say, MG, MG, um, have you, do you think you'd be able to get like a, a hit? Um, chip inside the profile of one of those usb fans i'm pretty sure oh god yeah, there's so much space. oh man you know you should actually do that uh this week if you can pull one together real quick and just yeah just like <laughs> yeah. Get it today that'd be great <laughs> yeah. we're gonna need those for the upcoming uh, summit we need them by 10 30 uh eastern center time <laughs> before the end of the show we're actually handing them out to all listeners yeah so whoever calls in to our uh, call-in can get a free <laughs> uh, USB fan uh, to impress your friends that, that says North Korea, uh, Donald Trump forever on the side of it. So, courtesy of Dennis oh, Rodman and popcoin.com. Actually, probably <laughs> some serious money. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, was it for Octex? Did you, uh, it was you that did the vape pen stuff, yeah? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that was me. Yeah, like same sort of thing. Like uh, my vape has like a, a screen on it, and it's like adjustable. It's got like you can set the screensaver. It, like, can you play Flappy full... Bird? Yeah, you definitely could. You could you could play Flappy Bird with the vape button. I've, like, I've seen that. We're inclined. There's a Arctic Fox. I think one of the Arctic Fox firmwares has video games on it, or like Tetris or something like that, for a couple of the vape mods. Uh, we get it. You video game and vape. Uh, I'm a gamer, but my platform is very exclusive. Uh, so, another leaky thing. More leaks, more leaks. Uh, there is the Honda uh, Connect app with just a bunch of just unauthenticated S3 buckets. Wait a minute. Whole, didn't, didn't they uh, get owned last year around this time? I yeah, but this one came back again. Somebody reported this and apparently left a thing that said POC.txt in the s3 bucket and didn't that didn't get noticed and wow. so then another researcher found that there was yeah they literally left a, a thing that says hello from and then the person's twitter name this is a proof of concept check if your s3 bucket has incorrect permission please secure your s3 bucket before a bad guy finds that dms are open if you wish to chat and then their open bug bounty page so i don't know i just <laughs> it's really bad form to just leave that kind of thing and then have somebody else find it. Who's somebody else was trying to be nice and then another person was trying to be nice and then you still don't have it. And it's I'm assuming this app like allowed you access to unlock the car and everything. So yay, bye Honda. Well, yeah. I just Curry. it's funny because like there's a, a big uh, push in like car hacking or whatever. The last few years at Defcon there's been the car hacking village, um, and I net like I go there and I just smell the nerds and I leave. But like, <laughs> like seriously, like guys, have a shower. No, but um, there's a lot of emphasis on like the CAN bus stuff and things that are connected like through the audio systems and like digital radio and things like that. But then, how many people actually like 
just like pulling apart the app and and reversing the app that's like a whole different like that's you don't need the dash to do that you can just get a copy of it right yeah or look for their s3 instance yeah for real (laughs) honda at or dot s3 Um, then you have stuff like onstar hooked into that and now amazon hooking into that yep the cycle there's a fun one yeah this had passwords in it too in s3 bucket no big deal so, so the S3 bucket had passwords inside of it, but not on it. And it was world-writable, world too, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was, it was writable with, according to the article, is trusted contacts, passwords, gender, emails for users and their contacts, as well as their carbons and Connect IDs, and it so, just says, and more. Wait a minute, so you could have nice. hijacked any of these accounts and yeah. switched shit up, and oh my god, wow, that's amazing. Nice Maybe change people's contacts. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and, and from their, their image, they have like a SQL t- uh, create statement. So I'm assuming they found like their SQL event thumb file or something. That's amazing. Dude, there's going to be somebody like Cambridge Analytica that is just archiving all this shit and assembling it for much more malicious purposes. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see. Um. So oh, the VPN thing, there was a story yeah. for the VPN uh, company. <laughs> Speaking of the logs that got away, uh, this is IP Vanish, the uh, no logging VPN. Uh, they were logging and they were logging hard. And everybody else who <laughs> says that they were not logging says, oh, that wasn't us. That was the other guys that logged. We don't log anymore because this happened two years ago. And the somehow the entire management and every single person involved in the company like a two, like literally two years ago or less, doesn't work there. What? Wait. That's, what that's, that's what their defense is that, they, that we don't log anything, but we don't have anything referencing, or we don't know like um, who, like we don't know who who did log, and if we did log, we didn't give it, and we wouldn't do that, and we're all about privacy. It's just basically like they're trying to say like it wasn't us. Wow, wait. So it wasn't me. IP Vanish Company sounds like a bunch of motherfuckers. So stay away. Like, well, it's, it's actually, actually like really common with like VPN providers will where they'll just turn over and it's a whole bunch of new people that make who knows what policies. But everybody like forgets that um, they're like, oh, I use a VPN, so like I have a private connection through my ISP. But it's like. Yeah, but now you have all these people that are trying to be private with a big centralized endpoint that's logging all their shit. Like, like these big VPN providers, uh, just, like I just see them as big danger signs in every which way, whether they say they're logging or not. Like, I mean, they are if you if you get that false sense of security. But if you're just using them for a first or a layer of protection, I don't think it's a problem, especially if they don't log. And I know there's some yeah. good ones out there because, like, uh, the one that's that's pretty big now uh, by VPNs, their Twitter account, but it's it's definitely it's PIA actually. Like, they're known in court documents to not produce anything because they don't have it because they don't log. I, th- I think that like the big VPNs, like if you're at the airport and you're using like the open Wi-Fi or like something like that, like turning on a VPN is probably a good idea. But if you have the ability to set up your own open VPN or something like, or like even not open VPN, like any other of the lesser protocols, like do that. 
and have something on standby. It doesn't cost much to run your own if you already have a VPS or even if you have DIN DNS back to your house, like that's sufficient for open Wi-Fi, right? Like it's still yep. the connect the data will still come from your house, but like from your mobile device to your house, but uh it's not gonna get sniffed off the air, so that's good. I mean, I for, like uh, using it for checking out links that are great, like down the line kind of possibly a problem. And I just don't want to deal with any ifs. Yep. You know what I mean? Or maybe you just want to hide your origin from the, the place you're connecting to. Yeah, um, exactly. st stuff that's not going to get a subpoena, you're probably fine with on a, uh, a VPN. Well, even even if they do get a subpoena, though, um, there's some companies out there that I would trust to. I, I would trust more than others, like uh, oh, definitely Pro Proton and uh, PIA are two that are known to not be able to produce for courts. And I think that's that's worthy of mentioning, but yeah, it's it's certainly not something that I would recommend putting your your faith into protecting your ass. You see, the oh, Pornhub have just started a VPN service. Yeah, Pornhub? that's brilliant. They're gonna that's get that's awesome. Yeah. Back. So that's a good like that's a good example. If you need a VPN service just to be able to get to porn, maybe that's okay. But I I would think that step one of becoming a an internet bad boy. Should be learning how to uh, to cover your IP address tracks without paying a corporation for privacy and, and expecting that that'll ever hold up. Yeah. So like using you your for a service like this goes back to the lulsec days with the hide my ass thing. It was like uh, I, I bashed my head into, into a wall when I heard about that. Yeah. Like, you guys are paying for a VPN service and conducting attacks against government and think that this. Five dollar a month VPS uh, VPN is going to protect you. <laughs> so uh, that's exactly why I use the uh, the subpoena as kind of the the water level. So yeah, if you're going for fucking porn or you're trying to download some torrents, like yeah, cool, go go use whatever VPN. But if you're going to get your door knocked on for whatever you're doing, don't fucking use the VPN. Or later. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, point, MG. Like. The watermark being subpoena, yeah, I would agree. Because I, I mean, kind of called being it an internet, yeah, being an internet bad boy as well. Like, if we look at um, what's Gucifier 2.0 forgot to turn on his VPN, like, mm. uh, if like in my in my mind, that kind of thing, if you're going to be like in an environment where you want to hide your endpoint all the time. You should have like some like appliance that is your VPN. That when you're on that VLAN or you're on that segment or you're on that physical network, your gateway is the VPN. <laughs> like you can't yeah. forget to turn it on. But like, the funny it, it's thing either, is, like, like works or it doesn't. A nation state still mentioned to fuck that up. Like literally, Russian intelligence managed to fuck that up. So it doesn't yeah. seem like a nation state actor to fuck that up. Well, uh, I guess we should shout out uh, Portal from Gruck, which is uh, OpenWRT with yes. uh, with uh, Tor and VPN configured in a correct manner, so that you can. Uh, How do you guys like it? Like, does it is it smooth? I know we're tangenting for a second, but is it like nice and smooth? Or I I haven't gotten it to work really that well. It, I mean, it worked. Work well. Huh. I don't. I I have uh, a travel router. Like we've talked about travel routers before. I know Faith has uh, 
a very good knowledge of availability of different types of travel routers. But um, like a twenty dollar travel router with OpenWRT, if you configure it correctly, like not an idiot, um, you can get you can achieve the same thing. So I think Portal is more for people who are either in a hurry or maybe don't know how to configure it, and then if you just want OpenWRT on something, and yeah. Is Portal a WRT uh, uh, branch? Yeah, it's based on OpenWRT. Interesting. Yeah, that, there's a, that's a cool There's show. also a project variant of Portal. It's Portal of Pi specifically to build on Raspberry Pis. Oh. Uh, many good reasons for that. Sometimes you just don't want to have any association with odd hardware uh, with the travel routers. So sure. the Pis can be a little more generic. Yeah. Cool. So like with the Pi 3, like you've got a, a Wi-Fi interface and you've got a um, and you get your Ethernet interface. So for example, if you're in a hotel room, um, you could have the Wi-Fi interface connecting to the hotel internet and that like the hotel's like Wi-Fi and then the Ethernet connected to your laptop and then, you know, disable your wireless on your um, machine so that you're not broadcasting your Mac and, you know, whatever else Wi-Fi probes you're putting out. Hmm. other beacons and uh and then the pi will do the the bridging and the touring and the vpning and then you don't um and then you connect you know. to your facebook and you browse facebook and it's <laughs> <all> <laughs> correlated and then uh all those bad onions know who you are anyway yeah yep. there is a really neat kind of uh thing coming around now there's a lot of software for you to Build out your own VPN, making it easier for people. Yeah. Oh, you can. There's a lot of things now. Like I know uh, Google's parent company has one um, where you can just, you know, on whatever hosting, you just toss it up, hit the run button. So just a little know, make your own stuff. Little caution on that is a lot of these providers, like especially Amazon, with their free tier, do not appreciate. Uh, those pop-up VPNs, so your mileage may vary. I've had issues. Well, Amazon will kill your account if you nmap your own shit. <laughs> yeah, yep. really. Automatically, and then you have to send an email that says, "Hi, this is my thing. I'm nmapping it from my shit." And they're like, "Oh, okay." Huh. Five to ten That's bucks nice. a month will get you something like Vulture or uh, DigitalOcean droplets that work extremely well for this. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Facebook thing for the, uh, yep, the Facebook um, privacy group failed a week. So this is actually really funny. Um, basically, they made a bunch of or 14 million users post public, um, like when they're actively like making new posts, um, even though they had meant to only share with like their friends. So they're just like openly making people's Facebook status public. So if you have made Facebook posts in from May 18th to May 27th, you may uh, have been selected to participate in this pilot program to really open up the doors for everybody else. <laughs> this to, to add some clarity there, they, they uh, changed the default uh, security behavior of the post. You could still change it, but yeah. some people weren't expecting the change. Yeah, especially if you're used to having it set to friends only. Yep. Yeah. How long was that like that for? Um, nine days. Uh, that's a pretty significant amount of time. Yeah. Wasn't it the last show? Somebody was talking about setting uh, a default post to uh, only oh, yourself. Oh, yeah. Your friends. 
Yeah. That's so fucked That's up. That was so messed up, man. Yeah, but that happened to somebody I know. They, they for a whole year and they thought nobody wanted to talk to them or hang out with them. <laughs> They're going through a rough time too, so it was like really bad anyway. Oh man! God damn it! Yeah, I felt really bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah. We our girlfriends used to do it as a uh, as a joke on each other if someone left himself logged in. That's way better than like hacked by, you know, whoever. Like messing with their head eternally, (laughs) potentially. (laughs) Yeah. Your stuff open on a (laughs) logged in at the library. (laughs) Don't leave your stuff open, or you get (laughs) psyoped. That's a lesson for the day. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that actually leads us right into our actual topic, which is mobile device security. So. Yeah, there's so much to cover on this, and I kind of just wanted to leave it open. I have some questions to kind of go through with you guys. And um, Pico, if you're there, he had actually made a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, he had gone through and made actual gifts of how to set privacy settings, specifically uh, with like a screen capture of his um, of his phone. Um, so, and he also had made a listing, which is in our show notes that we'll be tweeting out later, um, about what it actually means and what the significance of each uh, privacy setting is. And so his ones were Android specific, but they are uh, can actually be applied pretty generally. Was so Pico, is Pico here? Yeah, he should be here. Uh, he might have had to do something real quick when he was listening. Oh, hey, hey. Um, I switch headsets, but I am here. Yep. Hey, hey. yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're just about topic here. So um, yeah, so that's all for later. Um, now, I guess we can start off. I don't know if we have any good openers, Dan. But uh, for what? For mobile device security. <laughs> uh, why did I get owned? No, 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 I don't, you don't have to. I have, I have some questions here, just like some general ones. Like, I don't know, why um, is security so important? Because our lives are in those phones now. <laughs> so I think it's a two-parter question of why is it is is it so important and why isn't it taken as seriously as other forms of security. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, those are good openers. I, I think my opinion on why they're so important is because literally, like I said, that's our, that's our life now is in the phone. Uh, and why aren't they taking this seriously? I don't know. I guess everybody just kind of puts faith in the vendors to secure uh, the devices and they don't really think twice. Well, I think there's also like an illusion of security by having just a, like a lock on your phone, right? Yeah, like, that's a good point. More so than a lot of other like things out there. Yeah, I bet you a lot of people really don't type their password in to the home computers. They have to do it every single time for the phone. So, um, like, uh, reading, I was listening to this podcast, like Darknet Diaries, uh, an episode that Logcow had uh, linked earlier in the week, and it was about a some kid who had his school or whatever. It was pretty funny, and um, he was talking about using his tablet to do it, and he has like these pen testing apps on his tablet. And to me, this is completely foreign. Like, I don't use tablets for shit. I got laptops, and you know, I'm, maybe I'm an old man. Um, like maybe if you're just checking like what what access points are around or GPS or something like that. But generally, um, you know, the way this kid was talking was that this device was his desktop replacement because that's all he had. And so I think that's kind of like 
you know, because he was doing or attempting internet badman things, like everything is like in this one device. And even if he wasn't, still everything is on this like his Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, like would still be all on this like same singular like machine. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird like especially because it's like I don't know I I let's do a bit of it too it's like if that's like your main thing it's like um, like I guess you're not really doing anything too internet bad man <laughs> your main hacker man box is a tablet but still yeah yeah it just um, seems like this like. Uh, Unknowingly, so the, I think the supply chain for Android, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I always think we have. Yeah. The supply chain for Android, I guess, going from like Google to vendor, from vendor to telco to telco to you, just gets like messed up so many times and different apps and bloatware and patch cycles. Are, like the patch cycles are totally like luck of the draw when it comes to devices, right? Like mobile devices. So. Yeah, don't get confused into thinking that um, that the whole world operates the way that, that we do in the West, where we have a few major telco vendors and you get on a contract and you pay $40, $40 a month and they give you a handset and then two years later you upgrade. That's not how the whole world works at all. That's just us. Like in, in India and Brazil and China and stuff, they're more likely to just buy a, a, a shitty Android device outright and then use prepaid credits Um the, the whole idea of plans and telcos and over-the-air updates, all that sort of stuff doesn't mean anything in the rest of the world. It's only in, like, Australia, UK, and USA. But so um, model. Faith, I think it was you that showed me this originally, like, a long a while ago. It was, like, the, the Samsung Galaxy S3 had a world-readable... Might have even been writable. I can't remember. The Samsung Galaxy S3 had a world-readable, like, dev KMM, like, mirrored. What the fuck? From Samsung. You, you got to remember, they're like, I, I don't know what the statistic is, but it came out a while ago. It said something like 75% of Japanese kids under the age of 25 have, have never owned a desktop computer or a laptop computer. They've only yeah. had access to the internet through a mobile device. And yeah. the only times that they use a computer is when they're at school and they're forced to, to do so. Um, so it's, and also the the... The price thing, like there are kids over in India, and that's their entire internet device is a shitty tablet that their parents got for eighty dollars somewhere. Um, and to 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 take a step backwards and to get your hands on a laptop and a keyboard and an external display and all that sort of stuff, it's just out of their price range. And I heard an old joke that that uh, that only old people and, and developers use laptops these days. Everyone else just uses a phone or a tablet or both. Yeah. I think no, that's, that's going to increase. Absolutely. Because, I mean, like, you think about it, like, the price point for it is definitely a lot cheaper for a small Android tablet or, you know, if you're, you're upgrading your family's, your family computer might be an iPad that you share or an iPad that you share with your siblings, you know, growing up. And people that are doing that now where, you know, What's what's weird? I mean, this kind of is a little bit more topic too, but it's weird that people don't get into a lot of the same things that we might have got into growing up because they don't have to, you know, sit in front of a command prompt. They don't have to sit in front of a terminal. They don't have to like open that up because everything is just, you know, one big GUI for them to play with. And like, 
they are their you know idea of what the internet is and what a computer is is just something that you just touch you know you just touch it and it just does magic and same for the, same for the hardware dude like in the 90s um, even the average gamer would would have had to have assembled a pc or at least swapped out a hard drive or something absolutely uh, on a on this generation, like they they wouldn't even be able to change the batteries in their laptops, um, yeah. or their phones. They just assume this is some kind of magic box with special screws. They don't know how to open it. The only way to fix it is to take it to Apple, and then they their wizards fix it. And um, they have no idea what's going on inside the the actual hardware at all. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely weird, and it's it's like. I think that it's kind of like more of like a hands-off approach that a lot of people are just taking now. And I think that that's where a lot of this, you know, lapses in security come is that, you know, as long as, you know, it's, uh, I think it was you, DMZ, you said, you know, like, or I forget who said about the lock thing, but as long as your device is locked, you know, it's like an illusion of security. Like, it, you know, as long as you have your sort of like weird ways of hiding things, whether it be through like some VPN app or, you know, whether it be through some weird bloatware or antivirus on your phone or, or you know, whatever, texting app, people think that whatever is on the phone is, like, immutable, but they don't realize that there's an enormous backend that just exists, that their phone exists within, and, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's weird that people are missing out on that, but it also explains why there's a lot of issues with, with security overall with phones. People just... So what's the most common uh, entry point then? Like that's... Siri. Oh my god, I love like so. I got I got a lol I got a little story I'll tell real quick. Um, from uh, Ruxcon last year, um, there's this dude that uh, rocks up to 2600. He's a bit of a noob, but he's an alright dude, and um, he he wants to he's wanted to be a hacker for a while now, and he's tried pretty hard. And um, we'd, we'd had a few beers, and he said uh, to, to me and a, another professional, um, shout out to Luke, and he was like, uh, yeah, like, go ahead, hack my iPhone. Like, Apple have secured it or whatever. Like, you know, and we were like, lol, okay. And he's got a, you know, convoluted, like, long number password or whatever. So we just brought up Siri and we we're like, yo, Siri, take a selfie. And then we we're just like flipping him off in selfies. Like, yo, Siri, like call mom, like call his mom without a thing. Like, yo, Siri, just uh, we started going through his contacts that way, like just brute forcing with like um, just random names. Yeah. And started, uh, we, there was an, uh, an SMS that came through. And then so we like called that chick back and then like did some mild docs. She happened to know someone that we were with at the time. So we we're like, oh, yeah, like all this stuff. And. So would you sleep with this guy and whatever? <laughs> and then when we gave him his phone back, like he don't oh, he's so drunk he didn't remember it like the next day. Oh Jesus. What was, he was just like, what? It might as well. Gosh, her, answer was, her answer was no, by the way. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> oh, denied by by doxing her <laughs> yeah. Siri. But it was it was like think it was just so easy. Like it was That's just amazing. like just ask it. Like there was a, a bunch of things where Siri would be like, okay. No, you need the password to do that, and we'll be like, oh, fair enough. But then there was just a lot of things that the convenience of this device was also its downfall. Yeah, it really does come down to convenience. It, does Google have the same kind of phones? I haven't used Android in quite a while. It has different phones. There was a lot of lock screen bypasses using cameras and the camera and shit like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Cool. The, uh, the keyboard, like, select. I had Hey Google. There is a hey Google. Yeah, you can ask Google. To, oh my god, I gotta. I'm sure. Maybe. I'm sure it does a lot of the same stuff. Uh, 
So that's to come back on topic, uh, even though this is sort of on topic, um, where do you guys start when, say, if you get given a, a task to reverse engineer a mobile device or an application, what would be a good starting point? Those um, so, like, if I have an app that I don't have the source for, usually, like, ADB, and then just rip it off the device, and then use something like, um, like, like if you've got the APK, just like extract it, and then uh, you know it's like a zip, and then um, like JD GUI is like a tool for Java reversing, and like you get some pretty nasty ass code out of it, but you you can read it. JD GUI is really great. I actually kind of like it. Um, I actually like um, the. The one before, uh, what was it called? There was um, it was a command line one, like uh, oh, Binwalk is one. Like, there's a few. Oh yeah, yeah, Bin. No, it's not, not like Binwalk. Binwalk actually is really bloated now. I noticed, but um, like yeah, that's good for pulling like uh, files out of stuff. But um, there was another Java reverser that gave me really nicer like output from JD GUI because JD GUI just. The way that it names its variables is very horrible. Was it um, C A V A J? Java C backwards? So I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Keep talking about other stuff. I'll also, find it in a second. There's other APK unpackers for sure, though. The um, uh, one that you'll see is APK tool. Um, yeah, that's it. That most, yeah. most people, or a lot of people use, anyways. Um, what was the other one? So that's like usually, I think we would all kind of agree like strings and then, or a combination of strings and like unpacking is like the first step, right? Yeah. In. Okay. So Jad was the, uh, was what I was thinking of. And that was, but that's only for older versions of Java. So depending on like how your app is. But yeah, Jad gave me way nicer output than JD GUI, and you could specify like specific files rather than be like unpack the entire project into this disgusting folder. So most people know. out there listening probably don't don't realize, maybe uh, maybe a lot do, that like, APK files just explode into just everything that's inside of them. There's there's not really anything hidden. In, in one of those files. <clears throat> yeah, just a show of a show of L's or a show of F's or whatever fucking letter you want to type <laughs> in chat. How many guys are are lightly familiar with apps? Like it, you guys know what APKs are and do you, what what do you guys think? Um, we'll kind of read through those, but on that on the line of thinking of where to start, um, if you're not going to start with the app and unpacking it, my my uh, recommendation is usually like putting it through burp or a proxy of some sort and then middling it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah so and that's, if, that's easier to do on Android than it is on um, an iOS. Um, I've sometimes. Was it? There was, was a few yeah, older so bugs in iOS that... You have to get like an older version of iOS to get around some of the cert pinning. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, there was like the mail app in um, when using Exchange, like at one point, I think it was like it was a very early version of iOS where it was just straight up you could uh, 
man in the middle it and it would give you an, a warning but like not really hmm. people would yeah. just like click yes like yeah yeah, yeah whatever I just read my email oh for other people oh wow yeah no i was just talking about for home lab stuff taking uh apps apart um but that's interesting to hear that you could even do it for uh people on a wi-fi an open wi-fi so is yeah. is there a Sorry, I don't want to step in on anyone, but um, like if you want to proxy like an HTTPS connection on a computer, you know, you can just uh, install the cert. Uh, is it is it pretty straightforward on a mobile device to sort of do the same sort of proxy thing on a secure connection? Yeah, I mean, I I gotta say, yeah, for I working with just... Burp and stuff like that is is pretty simple. Um, you go into your Wi-Fi settings and. It's uh, it's outlined pretty well. So um, another interesting thing I just thought about as well is like Google Authenticator and those types of uh, like uh, TOTP apps and whatever. Um, there's no like export button from like from from those. Like you're not supposed to be able to transfer the the secrets from one device to another. But if you look up like a backup guide on like how to back up my TOTP auth and move it to another device. Um, like using ADB or whatever, you can just like copy the secrets and like can you put really? them on your new device. Yeah, you can. No shit, that's cool. Um, but Android only, unfortunately, because I actually need to do that. Um, and I was kind of like, I I had come to terms with the fact that I need to log into every freaking thing that I'm using and swap out the secret. So yeah, I actually I just, uh, I, I just came to the dark side, and uh, yeah, I have to. Log into every fucking thing and do that also. <laughs> nice. I just have like old phones that are hanging around, like turned off, like flat, that are just like, oh, I might need to log into something that needs that OTP <laughs> one day. Dead devices, partially dead devices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you, you turn it on and it's like Wi Fi is disabled, everything's disabled, the clock is like out of sync, so you need to resync the clock so you get the right like timed window for the, for the OTP. I mean, at, at some level, that kind of goes back to the original intent of putting this shit on a phone. Now everybody's primarily using a phone uh, and pulling two-factor codes from their phone to log in on their phone. Kind of breaks the uh, the intent. I think multi-factor is definitely something that should be uh, expanded on further. Where you have, I know it's like barrier to entry to logging in. Like everybody, that's that's the complaint everybody has. But the OTP thing is like. Okay, you have your OTP that is your like time shared secret or whatever on your phone, and then you you punch that number in. But then like I actually like getting an SMS as well because then if somebody has your OTP and your password, then you get an SMS, and then people will be like, oh, but you'll just get SIM swapped. It's like yeah, but now you need to do three things. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with uh, yeah, it's it's a layer, right? Again, it all comes down to layering. Like there's nothing wrong with using that as a piece and you don't, you don't have to rely on it as your sole protection though. Yeah. What about, uh, what, what would be the most common classes of vulnerabilities that you guys have seen in, in mobile applications? Just content manipulation. Like they're all usually just JSON blurbs that, I mean, I've seen like SQL injection and XSS straight up, just regular shit. Whoops. 
um like into sequel light dbs um i guess like i know that there's been like i haven't personally encountered but I know other people have encountered just straight buffer overflow stuff like just failures in uh because when you so has anyone published something on the app store before no. So there's this process you go through to publish um, on the App Store. Like once you're an Apple developer and you pay your eighty dollars or whatever, then you can like sign shit in Xcode. Actually, I think they might even be free to do that now. But you can you can sideload it to your phone and whatever, um, and then you can publish it to the App Store once it works. And it goes through a process where it's like checked that it's not malware. Is basically what the idea is. But then like I've asked people who are like professional um like iOS devs like well what about security do they is there any sort of testing to make sure that you're just not doing malicious like you know sorry that you don't have any any straight bugs or is it just checking for like your app is not malicious and they're like no they just check your app's not malicious so if you just write some really shitty code it'll probably bug door like yeah put some bug doors in there but then I guess that comes down to like sandboxing and stuff within mobile environments, which is very different to what we see on um, desktop machines as well. How often have you guys seen uh, stored secrets inside the app, like infrastructure keys? Constantly. Uh, quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, a lot often. Yep. Through right, through hey. often um, is secrets <laughs> left in the application. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's in the uh, mobile game industry, and there's a lot. <laughs> Strings and uh, Binwalk will find a lot of stuff. Like yeah. sometimes it's just experience. Like you just strings a binary, and you see a string that just stands out, and you're like, "That's got to be some kind of password." Yeah, yeah. it's thirty-two characters. Entropy. That's kind of along the lines of what I was uh, trying to say. My my cut out again, but the uh, like JSON blobs and and modifying those. A lot of times you can just type in uh, employee yes or employee true, and it ends up being an actual variable that works and totally gives you the employee menus that are hidden in the app. Um, I've definitely or even if you have a, if you have like a, a like a, a data cache where something's downloaded from an API that's like authenticated and all that shit, and then it caches it in like SQLite. So you just take the SQLite file and you open it and look at it like a normal yeah. SQLite file. <laughs> I've seen a lot of apps that do um, that, that do some kind of obscure uh, update check or whatever. Like a lot of apps will communicate even over HTTP, not HTTPS, but you'll see yeah. them talking to some like Chinese server and checking for a, for a firmware update or well software update. Um, and then the response that comes down from the server is just like a blob of bytecode that gets executed by the phone. Jesus. Um, yeah, those are pretty easy to mend in the middle and, and exploit. Oh my god! Nice. <laughs> it just like checks like it just like calls a machine in China and says, "Give me code to execute right now." And that's <laughs> the like the post response body is just all dex code. Just I mean, over HTTP, it's game over anyways, right? And I mean, I, I've seen Bank of America yeah. running their app over HTTP. Not like so we've talked the about uh, the help menus for sure. So we've seen we've talked about before like IoT like modems and shit like that. Um, you know for GSM and whatever, which I guess is right in your phone and like baseband firmware again we've talked about before, but like I think it was the OnePlus uh, two series. Um, 
and maybe some other versions that were like back like backdoor to the factory in China, like straight just baseband backdoors. Like, how do you even like just how do you even detect that? How do you get to that stage? Because it's it's totally yeah, it's a great not. This is why until until uh, President Kidrock changed his mind a few days ago, um, Huawei and ZTE weren't allowed to sell anything inside the US because it just got to the point where they gave up and said, "Look, we find backdoors in every single one of your devices, and if they're not backdoors, they're they're trivially exploitable." vulnerabilities that might as well be backdoors and we can't tell the difference in so, saying that in though, Australia, like, like the five eyes government guys can't buy any huawei equipment i mean trump's changed that in the last few days but um they have they have no quality control over their, their factories there's the interdiction thing is out of control um from foreign intel agencies but also from the actual rogue employees at the factories who just want to install like ad clicking malware into your shit phone. Yeah. Um, and that's both of them, but, right? Like that's both Huawei and uh, ZTE, right? Even yeah. with like you talk about like we talk about like Chinese manufacturers and this and that, whatever, but like you look at uh IPsec, like Ike V two phase one had a buffer overflow in like Cisco shit, like not too long ago, maybe it was a year or two ago. And like so, pretty much anyone who's got uh, you know IPsec, who who owns a, a Cisco router with IPsec like open, going like yeah, I'm a I'm an endpoint, and it's like well, there's a buffer overflow in phase one, so I don't know if that was ever exploited or, or anything like that. Oh, okay. but that was the thing. Yeah, it, I believe it was an RC, but I, I don't think there was ever a public exploit or anything. It got patched and covered pretty quickly. That's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, like that's the kind of thing though where I I just assume that it's like a state-sponsored thing they put in there. You know, For it's sure. a pretty terrible place to have it. You know, it's not somebody surely would have picked it up. You'd think that they wouldn't use it too often, but yeah, I mean, the I guess the overall thing that we're getting at is the the risk level on mobile devices is probably a lot higher than uh, than we all assume, and. Um, yeah, finding some of those uh, some of those gems is awesome. Like it's super fun to do. So I think you I've had um, traffic through Burp. Start running your traffic through. Go up with uh, direct object uh, references, where uh, where um, you just yeah increment encounters enumerating permissions. Um, it seems that mobile apps are often uh, this type of thing is forgotten about more. Than in uh, standard web apps. You got one that you've gone through recently that uh, that you can recall some of the detail on. That was especially egregious uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you don't have to name the vendor if you have any. Yeah, they had they had a. Uh, it was for a. I can't say who it was, but it was for a uh, a car fleet and. Um, they had an application for uh, for for cars that you know, didn't have this CAN bus interface, so they could do track location and so forth through the app. And um, and they had the filter on the VIN number um, was uh, was was a client, so you could filter on attributes to pull back, and also on the um, on the VIN number. And if you so if you remove the attributes. 
it would it would just dump a JSON of 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 all the attributes, so the schema of whatever it was pulling through. So just to back up one one quick second, if it, were you doing this discovery uh, through Burp or Man in the Middle interface, or how did you actually do the initial discovery? Burp. Um, through and just setting a proxy, it was an Android app. Um, right on, and then you just kind of force it through your Wi-Fi instead of going out through cellular. Through right. yeah, through the Wi-Fi. Yeah, and then you um, start modifying. Cool. I just wanted to establish the make sure that we're on the same page. Um, so yeah, Burp's super interesting. So you found that it was a uh, JSON modifiable. And this type of thing, um, any anywhere there's a high level, additional levels of abstraction where the developer's not really seeing what's going on under under the surface. So yeah, with Angular or React and these type of frameworks, developer often doesn't really know what's going behind the scenes and make so many assumptions. They're just thinking about what what have they forgotten about? Thinking about um, yeah. So I that think, was um, um, yeah. Is that, would you call that direct object reference vulnerability, <laughs> IDOR? Do you call it that or? Well, I find that a lot in like backend um, APIs that mobile apps are talking to. Um, the developers, the developers don't really understand what's going on under the hood. They don't understand how a HTTP request works really. Um, yeah. So they don't really understand, like nobody's ever audited the API endpoint the way that uh, like a web app API would get audited just by virtue of being exposed to the internet and people seeing what's going on. Um, because we're using like a, a, an, a mobile client, um, that's some kind of background magic that even the developers don't really understand. So a lot of things like API exposed methods, uh, API methods that should be authenticated users only, uh, don't check for an authentication token. That's a really common one. Um, so um, I was uh, I was doing some stuff with um, Jabba a while ago, and um, I was looking at this, I think it was OpenFire, I believe it was a server I was looking at, and the library that was used for the streaming XML was is XML pool parser. And it's actually pretty old. I think the last update to it might have been like 2003 or 2005. Like something old, and um, you know, or old in this in the in the timeline of computing at least, and um, that's apparently the like main XML streaming library still used in Android, which I um, don't know this one hundred percent for sure, but it's what I gathered from from looking at it, and that was still vulnerable. It wasn't vulnerable straight up to um, like XML external entities like XXEs, uh, but it was vulnerable to uh, like billion laughs, so like the billion laughs attack is like a you know um, an exponential increase in like you know or like self-referencing thing that just eats CPU forever. So it's not like a super critical thing, but that's supposed to be like what you use for XML parsing. Like you just import it in Android, like you don't know what it is or whatever. You just know you're doing streaming XML, right? Would you would you test that on if you're doing Testing for external entity attacks. Would you would you try a million laughs, a billion laughs on uh, on a on a server? I would never test a billion laughs because I just don't give a shit. But like, it just so happened that because I was looking for XXE, I was just like testing it like in in this other like it was actually in an um 
in the, in the in a Jabba server. So I was testing for XXC and just being like, all right, let's break it down, see if I can get anything to execute. And um, that did happen to work in that version. So I don't know. No, it was it was in the lab. It was my server. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm doing research. I'm not doing crimes. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, the. As far as I could tell, that was the same version of the library that, that's still used in Android. If anybody could correct me on that and tell me that there's like a nice updated version that Google have pushed out, that'd be that'd be cool. Or maybe that it doesn't work on Android and I'm full of shit. That's all. That would also be good if, to know. Uh, well, how would you guys go about uh, auditing the Discord and Twitch apps? So. Uh, a lot of my approach is kind of, it's not difficult, it's just annoying because I started off that way and I got used to it. So I do a lot of static analysis first. I'll use uh, APK tool, take that shit apart. I use, uh, what's the scanner called? It's just a default scanner, but it's really easy to modify. It's uh, Androbugs. Androbugs is what it's yeah. called. And that hits a lot of the low-hanging fruit. Bugs? It's a really easy to modify framework. So you can go off like, all the new CVEs, find write-ups and shit, and start putting your own strings to detect in it. Um, I do a lot of manual picking, too, to look for uh, being an app, and you find a lot of uh, root functionality. or uh, you, you still see it in the app that says it doesn't require root, so it could potentially do something if you are rooted. Um, and that's always interesting to find in a Google Play Store app. I think that's another interesting interesting thing we should talk about as well is um, rooted devices and jailbroken devices. Like, what do you guys think that it is better? Like, do you guys find that a jailbroken device is something you want versus like a, a stock device? Like, without a doubt, yeah. Because uh, the cert pinning, I mean, especially for iOS at least, I'm pretty sure you can't bypass a lot of the cert pinning unless you do have it jailbroken. I don't know about how it works on Android, though? No, I mean, like, for the, the device you actually use, like the one that you want to be secured. Oh, yeah. No. For jailbroken. <laughs> uh, or, yeah, none of that shit. I don't... <laughs> no. Yeah. It's it's like, we were talking about this before, I think, actually, because I think you might have mentioned this last week when we were talking off at the end of the, after the stream is over, about, like, uh, King Root and how... You know, people root people are root phones for, you know, they they'll go on like XDA developers or go on some forum and try to figure out like, you know, how do I root my new, you know, whatever device? And they're just blindly trusting one, the people who are gonna give them the correct thing. And then two, when they do find like a, a tool that will do what they want them to do or do what they want to do, um, you know, we we're talking about King Root being like a really good tool that has tons of, of uh exploits that actually will be able to root your phone and quite a lot of different models but it itself has its own shady underpinnings as well and so it's it's difficult because you know as phones become harder and harder to root um because of different protections it, it it opens it up to people kind of getting desperate in a way sometimes and maybe doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do like i wouldn't try to I, like imagine if you were doing some sort of, I don't know, pen test, and you were trying to do some, like, exploit on something to unlock your own computer, 
you know, would you use some weird Chinese like bootloader to to restart your computer and, and get administrative access just so you could download like Candy Crush Extreme Two? Yeah, <laughs> just uh, bend would, over and open your ports. <laughs> you would definitely right. just use sticky keys, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just weird because like it goes back to what we were saying before. It's like things have become very abstract, and it's people who are are younger too who are getting exposed to you know concepts like rooting your phone and and you know what what would it mean like you know I can download Termux and change them you know hack hack the government or whatever but there's people who you know I've seen on on like especially on XDA developers trying to like you know find some sort of resource people who have no idea what they're talking about you know giving out advice on how to use like ADB and stuff and just giving wrong info and you're just like this is this is all just garbage I don't know how anybody's getting by with this and 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 so it is kind of weird because people are kind of trusting a lot of different uh, services to do this kind of things for them. And, and it's, I don't know. I definitely, my personal cell phone will not root, um, but I will do it to other devices because I use them for other things. I think as well, yeah. when you look at um, like Clockwork Mod and some of the other, like, I don't even know what they are now, like Titanium Backup and like a lot of these like really popular uh, tools for like loading other other ROMs and shit onto your Android device. Um, on XDA developers, like you'll often it'll often be like a link to like a four shared like mega upload type thing, and it's like, yeah, just install this thing and then follow these instructions, and this is gonna run like this is gonna boot the ROM like every single time your phone starts like in a pre-boot environment, like. Who wrote this? Where is this coming from? Can I read the source code? It's yeah. the internet equivalent of like walking down a shady back alley to buy drugs from a guy in a trench coat, right? Like, yeah. But he might have some sweet molly and nothing. <laughs> some of these people yeah, I mean, are actually on um, on IRC though. Like you can go to DroidSec and talk to talk to a lot of the head guys from XDA developers that have written the stuff that people use, like Kingroot and SuperSU and Talroot and stuff. They're not invisible right, people. They're well-known security researchers with Twitter accounts and stuff. Yeah, they write Stefanessa and whatever when you're talking in Iceland, and everybody complains at him because they can't sell uh, their jailbreaks anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. he just them. I'm jailbreak. What do you guys, uh, what do you guys use yeah, for, um, uh, use for, um, for ARM uh, emulation? When you're testing apps that are compiled with Android. Are there any specific apps that are compiled for that? Because whenever I've ever used uh, any emulation for Android apps, I always just do it in an x86 image of uh, of Android and um, put it in, in VMware. I mean, I've used uh, QMU for like doing stuff on uh, like not not for mobile stuff, just for IoT stuff. But um, generally, like I prefer to have a running device. And um, on that note, uh, a lot of like I notice now it's a lot less common. But uh, JTAG interfaces used to be like available through um, a lot of older handsets, and they still are on newer handsets if you can identify them. So you can um, you can remote debug, not like an iPhone, I guess. Like that's going to be pretty fucking difficult. But I mean, if you have a shitty Android, I'm sure that you can spend a little bit of time and, and determine a JTAG pinout. Yeah, I wish uh, Dakota was here because he had actually mentioned some stuff to me that was, and I was actually trying to unlock a phone. Um, 
that was uh, I think Samsung makes their own like uh, JTAG debugger for um, Android phones. Um, there's a couple of different vendors that do that as well, but it, it, it's tough too because it's hard to figure out sometimes when you buy really cheap phones. Like um, actually, I was hoping Cozy Bear if you wanted to talk a little bit about the ZTE Huawei stuff that you were doing with uh, Protoxin. Um, but that sort of stuff is like sometimes it's like you don't even it's, it's really obscure. It's like everything's very generic, like generic like chips and generic you know labeling. It's just some random phone, and those are the phones that usually end up having the weirdest stuff on them though. But they're a bit harder because they're are less people that are actually going to have access to them. Like I had mentioned, like the CoolPad Rogue that I had that had the cool Reaper malware on it, and there's a bunch of other phones that have that as well, and it's just like, I don't know. It's a really weird environment when you get like deeper and deeper into like figuring out like, who actually made the phone and like, you know, what, who's behind all the, the, the weird backend stuff going on. Uh, a little bit of a lighter end uh, experience I had before was um, I was using Facebook on the desktop uh, throwback probably like five years ago approximately. And I had some conditions in which features were temporarily restricted or temporary bans on my account. But I found that if I used the mobile app, none of those restrictions were in place. <laughs> and I was nice. curious if anybody else has run into that. I don't know if it's still the case, but I thought it was pretty yeah. comical to be real for such a large platform. I've often found that the mobile clients for, say, social networks will be hitting a different backend API that doesn't seem to ha have the same rate limits supplied for things like uh, yeah. posting and searching and whatever within that network. Very, very often. Uh, that's the case. I guess not so much anymore. I know a lot of like rooting social accounts and stuff or stuff like that in the past. I think people would be surprised though. Like even even just changing your user agent will get you past uh, some of the rate limiting. This is why well, Burp has well, a um, trip. When like you run something through Burp Scanner and one of its default scans is to try like Android and, and iOS user agents to see whether it gets a different response from the application. It does that by default. Hey, so... um. On the on, on like the sort of bigger exploits that came out, uh, like so ghosts, like the the get host by name or whatever, like was does, did that affect Android? Like did that get all the way across as well? Like shell shock, like were those kind of bugs? Like sort I never of, really looked. We had like stage fright and image tragic bugs, and um, they they were definitely Android. Like there's Metasploit modules for them for Android, so some, yeah, some of those bug glasses are, are cross-platform enough that they're actually, you know, they're they're on Linux and Android and whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about shell shock, shell shock specifically, or ghosts. Yeah, I was just thinking like shell shock through like the DHCP client. Like I don't, I don't know what Android's DHCP client is. I just assume that it would be like based off the. Of uh, like, I would yeah, assume it's it'd be, very, it'd be very simple. I don't think um, you'd be able to inject stuff. Well, you never know. No, yeah, well, yeah. Well, that was, was totally that it was really simple, right? Sorry, what was that, Dan? I, I, we're talking about Shellshock. Yeah, yeah. That I thought it was vulnerable on uh, both Android and iOS, if I recall, when it first came out. Yeah, it was definitely vulnerable on on. 
uh, OSX at least. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. Bash, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was an environment uh, environment bug. A lot of these things don't like if you're if you're running a rooted phone, you're probably not getting it bashed directly using like BusyBox shell or something. Actually, uh, speaking uh, of the yeah. jailbreaking jailbreaking stuff, like rooted phones, uh, there was a worm that was going around um, during about the time of iPhone three or four or something, and it was hilarious because uh, an Australian guy claimed that he wrote it. And he got interviewed on the radio or something, I remember. And I was like, what the fuck? And it turns out, like, he didn't write it at all. It was full of shit. And um, what it was doing was, it was, all it was, was this, like, uh, thing that would detect, I guess, the Mac of other, I, uh, like, iPhones on the network. And it would just try and SSH, like, into them with the oh, Alpine, Alpine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, infect it, like, and then, again, yeah, spread. It's like, like early on your shit, right? Yeah, I actually had to do that into uh, my phone because I broke the screen, so I had to SSH into it, install PNC, so I could use it. Well, uh, the Alpine Alpine yeah. thing was uh, worked on Apple TV and like all kinds of fucking weird shit as well. All their other products, like when they when when that was the sort of jailbreaking thing. I don't know what yeah. it is now. It I think it showed a picture of a celebrity. I can't quite remember. It was around 2010 yeah, yeah that's pretty old five i think and the, the source code was released the guy had compiled it actually on his on his phone so he hadn't used xcode or anything like that installed gcc on his on his oh, phone wow. that's cool yeah that, that's an interesting thing i guess like you can install uh like with um city or whatever i know that like you used to be able to install from um because that was basically apt right so you could just in like there was uh builds for like gcc and like the whole build chain like uh build essential type package like meta package that you could just you know open terminal dot app and start fucking typing open vim and do vim nice it's like the weirdest uh thing you guys have come across i've come across like uh ride sharing apps that auto populate credit card fields <laughs> if, you, if you took it the right way <laughs> and they were dummy, a... they're dummy credit cards so it's not like super big deal but um yeah I found um, I found Chinese uh, bloatware apps and just just development artifacts lying around on Chinese phones that'll have like a OAuth or passwords or whatever, like Chinese dudes Gmail accounts. Oh <laughs> man! That, like they they they'll have like a <laughs> config dot old or whatever, and it'll have like Jingjang seven six five at gmail.com and some password in wow. there. And he's deleted that, and now it populates from your. You know, Android preferences. Oh, frosty, so frosty. Even that happened. Amazing. There's a. I can't remember what it was. It was a. I think it was. A, it was a. It was a camera. Camera, or it was a, a a small router that used some libraries, and the guy, um, the Chinese developer, had put his Gmail address in it, and it sent off Gmail periodically. Whoa. 
uh, who knows? Maybe with some development stuff left in. Um, oh, yeah. Find the uh, the price. Supposedly, yeah, there's like he had to eventually notice his email was getting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'd think so. <laughs> That's great. I definitely think that uh, if you do want to get into any sort of mobile hacking um, app develop, like you know, app, app reversing or man in the middling apps, all this kind of stuff we're talking about, you should definitely have an anonymous wallpaper. <laughs> Just well, I thought it was going to be like really profound advice. There's something that like I I've, I've tried to like tell a lot of people is that you shouldn't download shit like that. If you're going to try to do any sort of you know hacking or, or doing anything that would be considered hacking, I guess you can do all of it. You know, if you have an Android, just get a cheap Android and just use Termux. Because you can do a lot of stuff with just playing around with with Termux. Like I, I've done, you know, uh, like even like talking directly to like if you have a rooted Android, you can talk directly to like your cell modem and run AT commands as a, you know because it'll be mounted as a device like your your uh, GSM modem. You can like play with that kind of stuff. You can you can run any sort of tool. You can compile. You know, you can download GCC. You can download whatever you need and compile whatever tools you want. <laughs> And just run them off your Android. I mean, I I, I have a tablet that I use um, for uh, ARM development stuff when I don't use a Raspberry Pi, um, and so I'll just play with with the the tablet and just you know compile you know 32 bit ARM code just on there, um, and you can you know like mess it up and and you know do whatever you want. It's just like a cheap tablet, um, but yeah, it's pretty cool, especially if you're like you know playing with like. Uh, you know, developing shell code or stuff for Android and, 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 you know, learning how to actually do that. Like, I learned a lot about it from learning how to uh, make my own strings and, and stuff um, yeah. to tailor to Android system paths rather than traditional Linux ones. Hey, somebody brought up uh, last episode about the um, the repository. Uh, there was, I think it was on GitHub, there's a repository of, um, like, a common something it was like a really good reference resource for mobile hacking i'm not sure but if somebody does have that please share it in the twitch chat damn it uh, yeah phone. i got that right oh, here hold yeah. on a sec uh, oh yeah an eternal blue in Discord. I I... <laughs> uh you definitely also if you have uh you don't even need something like juice ssh but i do like that app i know i think you'd like it too Faith. um but uh termux you can just ssh to like your vps and just literally run anything you would want to off of your phone pretty easy. i think um as well just on like if you don't so we're talking about using like extra phones because like a lot of the people don't have a secondary device to do all this shit with or we're talking about kids sharing having to share devices um one of the things that like i've done in the past to get a cheap device that i don't give a fuck about is go to the like mobile phone like smash screen repair stores and just be like what's the cheapest android you've got yeah, and they'll be like, "It's a HTC Desire One, and it's like twenty bucks, and it's probably being used for drug deals or whatever." You're like, "Yeah, whatever, just give it to me." Like, I don't like, so the prepaid phones, and that was kind of what tied into the the repo that I'm trying to think of the name of, but it had like all these exploits. You, I think it was you that uh, brought it up. It had an exploit for one of the more recent um, prepaids, and that was like. I think it was King something. King or I think you guys. Yeah, that's it, right? 
I'm not sure. That, that one, that one a lot of different exploits that it can call through. Anyway, there's, there's King Root and there's King O Root, and I think they're two entirely different groups of people. And there's a lot of um, dodgy malware infected variants of these two. King um, Root. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's not... 3, 360 Root, which is in Chinese, but specifically for like Chinese shit phones. Um, yeah. They've got the biggest database of all, I think. But a lot of these databases, I mean, they're, they're somewhat proprietary, but they're mostly collected bits and pieces from, from hackers on the XDA developers forums and equivalent Chinese forums where they, where they just post like, hey, I've got this um, no-name model X709 one gigabyte MTK chipset whatever phone. I don't even know what brand it is, but I rooted it by finding a writable ETC profile file yeah yeah like, and so is it kind of like a... linux hacking background like when you if you've played around owning a, a lot of linux boxes and just unix boxes in your time the first time you drop to a shell on like a chinese shit phone it's going to be an eye-opening experience because it'll be a matter of five minutes you'll find you'll find shit that was solved in linux 15 years ago yeah staring at you it's right now good way Android. it's a good way to get the um get a phone that's super cheap though, right? Like the prepaids are what? Five bucks at Walmart? I got one for $30, $30 or so um, the other day. I got a ZTE phone. Um, it was a track phone branded one. And it's actually a pretty nice phone, honestly. Yeah. Um, I've just been using it to um, test out some some stuff that I wanted to test out because all my other phones are kind yeah. of right now. And so after you root it, you have to try and figure out, is it, ZTE that rooted me, or is it the king split? <laughs> yeah, so I think um, Faith touched on some stuff like I was trying to get out before. Was uh, the I think I, I missed was um, like when with the Android app, with like the Android Play Store, the Google Play Store, when or a lot of these um, shit from XDA developers as well. Like you might have the the developers who are like the real security researchers writing the original product. But then you've got like all these like no name variants and different groups that are the malware infected. Like you think you like well, I, I mean, most of us would probably be hopefully smart enough to tell that we're downloading what we think is the right thing. But um, maybe we're wrong, and maybe the you know um, the the average person who doesn't know or the kids who are getting into this just downloading you know any sort of thing, and it, it, it is the like malware infected version that might still root it, but it might backdoor you as well. Xcode the, was uh, backdoored? Xcode sorry? for the China, like some Chinese version of Xcode was backdoored. So anyone who was piling uh, iOS apps with this, nice. uh, maybe it was a cracked version of Xcode, would automatically backdoor. Um, those are, That's how they got their malware into the supply chain. I remember that was an interesting... Um, interesting sideload for Cody on Apple TV, which was um, you download like a pre-compiled version of, um, of Cody and then uh, you get your like you install Xcode and get your developer key and then you re-sign um, like there's a re-signing tool where you re-sign Cody and then you sideload it uh, over like USB-C or USB or whatever like to your, your iOS device or tvOS device and then um, yeah, you could you would have it legitimately running, just don't reboot. A question. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, when when you guys come when you 
come across a APK um, and they've 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 put their um, compiled Java classes through tools. Do you bother spending the time to try to pull that apart, or do you have any any recommended tools that could that could help with the obfuscation that's good at it? That are good at it. Leave static out. Yeah. Not not that are good at it. Yeah, I don't know any that are that good at it. Uh, a lot of times I'll leave it and just try to work with it as much as I can. Um, <laughs> yeah. Me, so I don't. I don't need a ground up analysis write up. So I just get what I get from it. Like if I find that it has SMS functionality or something like that, I'm like, okay, this is enough to know that this is sketchy as fuck and nobody should be using it. Yeah, there was actually, there was a talk that we uh, went to MGU or with uh, where they, they kind of went over the, um, the basics of what sticks out as malware. And I mean, that, that gets down like, the road of it are we looking at malware uh specifically for this but yeah one of the things was coin hive like as uh crazy as that sounds like they actually were looking for coin hive um which is i thought a legitimate company you know but they were uh they do that in sms like you said um access to contacts any of the sketchy stuff where they just kind of smash and grab? Um, I think um, one thing, list. one thing that's been uh, coming up in the crypto world as well has been um, ARM-focused uh, like proof of work algorithms. So stuff that's optimized, like the proof of work that's optimized to not run on x86 or GPUs or ASICs or whatever, you know, whatever. Trying to to optimize running it on ARM and um, therefore ending up with these like really specific um, payloads that you would have on on an Android or on an ARM device on like maybe a Raspberry Pi or something. Like I don't know how effective it's been to actually to to build this. I don't know anyone. I don't know any coin or ICO that's that's based off this currently, but it's some stuff that I've seen um, talked about a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, the. I think that would be kind of really hard to detect, and that would be the case where you'd be looking at the, like the network traffic to be like, "Hey, why is it talking to like all these peers? Like, what's it doing?" And at that point, you would be like, "Oh, I can't reverse this cryptography because that's a pain in the fucking ass." But I can really see <laughs> that this is like sketchy as hell. This is probably you know that's something that you probably wouldn't want to bother reversing. Right. So you're saying, uh, for instance, um, XMR or Monero being on a, an Android phone? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think Monero is optimized for ARM, but it's like, like with specific like crypto algorithms that will run better on your phone than on your desktop is the idea. Like by taking advantage of the architecture. There's certainly a lot of um, coins out there that are appealing to the third world um, markets like um, Electronium and Dubai Coin and a bunch of other dumb ones. Uh, and then their, their main claim to fame is mine on your cheap, shitty $50 prepaid phone. Download this app, install now, and you can be making one rupee per day. Um, but there's quite a few of the, I don't know what protocols they use. I don't know what, I don't even know, nobody knows if they're even doing anything at all. 
Um, but as long as your wallet balance goes up one rupee a day inside this ecosystem, nobody asks any questions. One Turns rupee. out they're actually just adding Facebook friends. We do have, we do have, like I've got a, I've got a smart TV that's running a backdoor Monero miner right now. It's siphoning off <laughs> one hash per second off the some yeah. dude in Bulgaria, but he doesn't even <laughs> hide it. It's just, it's just, it's in the readme. Um, I, I have a question. Like we've talked about some of the hardware side of things. We've talked about um, reversing APKs and a little bit on iOS apps. How would you guys go about targeting a mobile device in a, in an engagement, like a penetration test or a red team engagement? Uh, oh, man, it's all the devices are in scope. Um, what is your attack surface there? Browser, WebKit. WebKit. There was a, an iOS jailbreak that was uh, through the PDF viewer in WebKit at one point as well. It was pretty long. I'm sure there's more. There's more. There's Chromium PDF exploits that were cross-platform as well. Yeah. yeah. But specifically, like, WebView is a good answer. Um, and even in, like, Cobalt Strike and Metasploit and stuff, we have, we have multiple WebView exploits for various revisions. Um, but that's, I guess that's still kind of a client side vulnerability. So is that your answer? You would go for client side exploitation or would you go for, uh, maybe uh, I didn't understand the question. What was it? All right. So, so I think you said just targeting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't just mean like, uh, targeting the phone you have sitting on the desk next to you. I mean, how do you remotely target, how, how do we hack DNZ's phone is what I'm getting at. I mean, yeah. WebKit uh vulnerabilities probably Siri, order be, corn yeah right <laughs> probably could just do that or like go to him and rob his phone <laughs> that seems to be what the fbi is doing so um interestingly enough like so the, there's a couple of things that we haven't talked about and that is like uh fingerprint unlocks which um has been defeated facial unlocks which can be unlocked by a dead person like you know there's all these other ways. Like once you have physical access, I think there's a there's a lot of things, well, including yeah, um, physical access is game over. That's why I'm more interested in the remote. Experience. Yeah, I guess client siding is still still the same the same way as you'd want to own someone's desktop, right? Like you, you're gonna want to client side them because they're probably behind. Like so, depending on your telco network or something, you're uh, you're behind that, um, and. Like with with your phone, you'll be behind some sort of fucking NAT gateway. You not you don't usually get a public IP in Australia at least. Um, yeah. Same as your uh, same as your desktop, you know, you'll be behind some sort of NAT. But um, there's also uh, one method that I don't know how popular it is or how much is being fuzzed these days. But um, with SMS, there was there's like a message type header that was used for um sending different type of messages to uh like basically identifying whether it's an mms or an sms or like whatever those like i can't remember exactly this is i haven't worked in this in a, this place in a while but um there was a whole bunch of unhandled um message types that could be set in different handsets so you could send a t type of sms to a device and it wouldn't even get a notification it just drops it yeah and like this is how like Telco's push configuration and stuff. Yeah, um, service have, SMS. 
Yeah, and those service SMSs you can't send client to client because the network like um, has a white list of of messages that you can send. But if you right. have them on your Stingray, yeah, you might be able to send the, those kind of uh, you know if you had somebody downgraded and onto your own like femtocell, you could potentially push um, either a, you know configuration update or you could push maybe a um, if you if you were able to find uh, a vulnerability that was exploitable um, through through that method as well. Well, I think the cool thing about Femtos is you don't even need to downgrade, right? Like, if you if you have full control over it, you can uh, you get need LTE, right? You can't you can't just hand off to a Femto unless it's um on authenticated on the network. There's like a shared yeah. key or whatever. Yeah, but I'm saying like if you have that guy, it's like a rabbit hole, right? Um, but if you're if you're in control of a femto cell and you have it owned, um, yeah. If you have someone on your femto cell, you can start pushing all kinds of fucked up shit. Speaking of freaking crazy firmware level stuff, decoded. What's up, man? What's going on, dude? Not too much. What do you uh? What do you make of all this mobile nonsense? Man, I haven't even been listening. I just got on was catching the tail end of what oh. uh, DNZ was saying. <laughs> what are we talking about? Firmware? Regards to what? Oh, mobile hacking. Well, I mean, if you got an Android, I mean, you're probably going to get hacked. <laughs> <laughs> so on that on that topic with Android, like one thing that, um, have you guys seen like Copperhead OS and that kind of shit? And like the black phones, yeah, yeah. Black phones. There was a uh, Azimuth Security, like Mark Dowd's company. That you can Google them and find out what they do. But um, he put up a blog post that was up for about three days of like a whole bunch of exploits in the black phone, and then just the blog post disappeared off the internet with no explanation. Um, so that's pretty funny. Uh, but like you know, if you're running, like, can you like? I know people have got GRSec and packs running on Android, but how viable is that for like the regular person? And is it really going to help you? Do you trust the people that are running this service? I mean, who's the people that are running this uh, <laughs> black phone service? I mean, do you really trust these people? It's the absolute wrong time for it too, because they just wrestled the company away from them, didn't they? Sock service as well. What is that? The one that's like twenty grand. I haven't heard of that. No, I don't think that much. They're, they're pretty they're reasonably priced. They weren't. They weren't. Uh, the black phones weren't extremely powerful or anything. The just idea was that it was secured. That you could make phone calls and send SMSs. Comes so service. It's twenty thousand dollars. If you break it, they fly you a phone with a representative. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. What? Yeah, is that is, that can't be black phone though? It's got to be Kanye phone or something <laughs> insane like that. Yeah. So the black phone, the or the silent phone. Let's see. By now, how much? I think they're about eight hundred, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's probably the Google, Google says like it was about seven hundred and something US six twenty nine. Damn, that's actually black too. Yeah, but like they got owned like pretty pretty quickly. Um, 
Actually, that reminds me as well of um, the grey boxes. The I think we we did it in our news piece. The the grey boxes from China for owning um, the passcodes for uh, iOS devices over um, over uh, Lightning. Yeah. What about where you base? Well, I mean, like it was just like you plug in device. You you plug your iOS device into box. It extracts the key through whatever me- method over Lightning, which I assume is like got DMA or something, and then uh, then you, it brute forces it offline, and then you get the key after X amount yeah, of the, hours. The gray shift, gray gray key, is what you're talking about? Uh, it was like just called like a gray gray box had like has like two Lightning cables coming out of it. It's like yeah, a it's Chinese like the, thing. The company is called Gray Shift. I don't know if we're talking about. I think that's. Like Solbright wannabe company or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Solbright rigs are very expensive. Um, have any of you guys got like the uh, like the octopus box or the magic box or any of these firmware flashing um, boxes that have like JTAG UART connectors for various different phones? You can get Samsung ones, LG ones, multifunction ones. You mentioned that the other day. I looked into that. That's well, actually a pretty nice box, the Octo Plus. Yeah, man. And what amazes me is how many uh, DroidSec enthusiasts don't even have the same hardware capabilities as their local Chinese phone repair store. Um, I think if you're going to hack mobile devices, you should be at least as good as the guy at, on the corner store that repairs everybody's screens. Yeah, yeah, every the one that uh, every basic bitch has to take her iPhone to once a month because she gets drunk and drops it. Charming, Jesus. yeah, but that guy's like light years <laughs> light years ahead of most supposed mobile hackers, just by virtue of the fact that he can reflash a Samsung Galaxy Five, and you can't, but he can because he's got this equipment. Wait, so um, what's I, I, the secret to it then? There's got to be something stupidly easy, right? Right. Well, a lot of them have just have got like like PNZ was saying before. They've got some kind of hidden, weird custom JTAG interface. But is it? And these boxes you buy from China, they've got the pins on them, and you just open up the device and connect the cable that they provide, and they don't care about copyright or whether it's a patented connector or anything. But it's yeah, just or like how it even works, really. Like basically, they're like load ROM in this Windows software that is like all in Chinese. Like, like, connect the fucking thing up and click go and choose the image. Pretty much. It's just like a GUI to the ADB commands. But it's not, yeah. like, cert controlled. It's just it's obscurity through. It's, it's yeah. faster than that text-to-speech accessibility screens to bypass all those, like, pin swipes and, and the uh, Google activation stuff. Have you ever used that? <laughs> no. I haven't, no. But you're talking about, like, the bypasses? Like, yeah, the bypass on Android are so lame. It's just like yeah. a text. You enable the text speech stuff, and you get like a Google search bar, and then you're able to sideload like a you know an APK, and then you sideload the APK, and then you're on the phone. All those like wow. default screens, stolen screens, and stuff like that. They're so easy to bypass. What are like some of the easiest ways to do it? Um, probably, other than probably that, like text <laughs> text to speech, whatever. Just the Forcing one into download mode, like that little um, jig, like that you put oh, 31 yeah, ohms right. on the OTG, OTG pins, force them, force them into download mode. And that works for 
any of the phones, even the Samsung. Yeah, I think that I think that's what a lot of those little um, those little reflashing uh, phone repair boxes do as well. Is they send that voltage over the OTG pin. There's that, a name for it, right? With uh, uh, Samsung phones, down, down, download mode. It's just forcing a download mode. But it was the... yeah. A lot of the phones though, you can just hold like the some buttons. So like I think with the all the Samsungs, it was like volume down the main button. Yeah, and but, power. But this this is for when those buttons aren't working at all, and all you've got is like the board and and power supply uh, in a harness. Yeah. you can still force it into like reflash mode just by setting specific. Look at every, every model that that Octoplus says is like fucking every Android on the market. <laughs> Octoplus. So has anyone tried uh, Copperhead OS? Nope. Never tried it. Have you? It's uh no, I've been like I, no. I sort of want to give it a go, but it's so um it doesn't support that many devices, I understand, but uh, like I said, I'm on the dark side now, so how was it up kept? Apparently very well. It's it's pretty newish. I'll link it in the thingy. It's just like a hardened Android, right? Right, yeah. The idea is that you uh, you buy a handset, which is, I think it's like the, the Google handsets, so the supported devices are like pretty um, trustworthy supply chain-wise as far as Android supply chain trust goes. Um, and then, yeah, you in, you flash it with your with this shit, and apparently you then have a phone that is less hackable than before. Oh uh, yeah, you were DNZ talking before about um some dude that hacks from his tablet. Has anyone has anyone used like Kali uh, NetHunter or like uh, those uh <laughs> those pen testing Android distributions that? Various people have created. I'd rather kill myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like a Google Pixel or a Nexus or like a OnePlus or something that's um, that supports external, lots of external adapters. So you can plug in like an Alpha wireless or um, USB Ethernet or something like that, and actually have a usable pen testing kind of box. If you if you just want to plug it into a network and quickly, uh, uh, I don't know, mass sniff capture a replay on a Windows network, you can get it working and automated to a degree. But you might as well use like a a Dropbox at that point rather than a phone. This is kind of the thing though, how people are like um, want to use like Raspberry Pis as desktops. That's like, well, first you need a power supply, and then you need like a USB hub. And then you need to plug in a keyboard and a mouse, and then you need an external monitor, and then you need like all this shit. And up, uh, and after you have all this shit, you might as well have just got a fucking laptop because it has more balls than you know. Yeah, you, you're running like a real yeah, processor, true. not an ARM processor, slowing you down. Yeah, that's very true. In fact, it's often cheaper. No matter what you want to do with a Raspberry Pi, it's often cheaper to just go to Alibaba and find a Chinese piece of shit for twenty bucks that already does exactly that. <laughs> and save yourself putting it all together and buying components dude the usb cable is more expensive than the fucking raspberry pi for sure <laughs> like my sd card that i put in my pi zero costs more than the pi zero it's true uh-huh. 
Yeah, I think uh, if you get one of those MG special USB cables, then it'll yeah. definitely be safer. In fact, I think the uh, mini HDMI adapter cable that I had to buy to use the Pi Zero costs more than the Pi Zero. The little adapter, yeah, for sure. It's like 20 bucks. The Pi is like $8, $8 now. Pi Zero. So I just wonder whether there is, um, apart from like, apart from having some kind of toy to show off at conferences or while you're walking around a conference, um, is there any actual use case for hacking tools from mobile devices, apart from scaring CEOs? I don't know. I think it's more about the shift in what the up and coming hackers are using. I just think that uh, it's more about that like kids have tablets, kids are learning to hack on tablets, they're not using desktops, like we talked about under 25s in Japan, not using desktops. And I think that's more the drive than any sort of like, you know, actual pen tested, like people who are professionals right now, just have the came from a different place that the current, you know, the upcoming generations are coming from. USB-C, I mean, that could be a vector using like a low footprint device, like an Android that has USB-C and then using USB-C as a vector. I mean, that's a kind of a niche right now, but there's a lot of things that can be hacked because of that. So yeah, I, I got definitely. a question. It, so we were talking, well, actually MG had a question about um, USB-C before, but I just, before that happens, um, do you know, like, does USB-C, does that, like, uh, also have DMA the same way that Thunderbolt and whatever does, or is it more like the, like traditional USB? Uh, yeah, it has DMA. Don't, don't like, I don't know if the, the, to the extent that Lightning transferred over to USB-C, but I know the same sort of attack meth mythology had transferred over. To the yeah, like the Thunderstrike the stuff that SNAD did? Yeah. But I know that anything that has USB-C, it's not like specific to Intel or AMD or any like manufacturers. It's anything that uses USB-C has that low stub vulnerability. Well, that's the whole thing. Like the, the point of like removing things that are like just an extension of the PCI bus, because like, uh, if you remember, like there was like implants for laptops for, um, or is a, a mini PCMC, not mini PCMC, the, the fat, the big fat PCMCIA slots that used to be on old laptops. Yeah, and that was, yeah, yeah, that was like the implant, the like the spy implant, they'd put it in and that was like the back door on the PCI bus now. Like the PCIe um, docking station connector on the bottom of the laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you put like a slot screamer implant in there or whatever it's called, NSA toy. Yeah, and now it's like uh, all these, uh, you know, the default connectors becoming USB-C. We talked about game hacking, like USB-C all over the Switch. We can assume it's that true. the next generation consoles will be USB-C controllers and whatnot. If people find like a, a pair of USB-C headphones, like Beats headphones on the ground, just plug them in. I'm sure yeah, they will. Oh, free yeah. Beats. Yeah. Um, it's got a USB-C connector, they plug it in, they get their music, it passes through the audio just fine, but meanwhile it's doing some sneaky MG stuff in the background. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to mention just the cable, like the cable itself, um, 
you know, if you have a chat, like, you know, the charging cables that MG has done previously on USB-C, like, if you just have that with the device, chances are somebody's going to use that. They might throw the device out because it's shit, but they might keep the cable. Could MG, could you make me, like, some some Beats by Dre uh, USB-C headphones that specific that, that explode, but only when Takashi69 music is being played? That that actually might be possible. I mean, I, my, my ears already feel like they're on fire, but if I could actually literally have them catch on fire, that would be great. Yeah, use the, the <laughs> uh, existing lithium batteries that are right in there. It's nice. This mixtape is fire. Pure fire, dude. Check it out. My ears are on fire. It's also worth mentioning within scope of this that the USB-C connector uh, sometimes is used for more than just pushing USB. Uh, the MacBooks, right? They're they're pushing uh, Thunderbolt over that as well, which, yeah, that has DMA for sure. So um, I, coming back to my question from a little while ago, um, targeting mobile devices in a corporate environment like executives yeah. have their have their iphones or their android phones whatever it is uh apart from the client side uh, uh web view kind of or memory corruption exploits against like safari on an iphone or something um, we had a... what other vectors could you think of to like get at get at um get at those devices as a as a as a pivot point into a corporate network I would honestly I work for um had um they had like, it, was, it was a large multinational they they I was on the Android um Play Store having a look and they there was a remote connectivity app um which looked pretty official it had something like 5000 plus downloads and um so I installed it and it wasn't a remote connectivity app it was just for some some guy in the organization had created it for his own little project. Um, but people obviously were, were, were searching for the, the, the company name and downloading this app. And over 5,000 people had installed it. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure he's, the team that this guy belonged to, just checking in, in Outlook, his team wasn't, didn't have 5,000 people in it. So perhaps that could, that could be a good vector, attack vector. I downloaded the app and, um, and took a look. And uh, look, I was pretty sure there was a a, um, a file upload uh, vulnerability, lack of sanitation. Um, I checked a few things, but obviously, you know, I shouldn't have been looking at this. So I contacted um, the security department and notified them, and they escalated it. And the way they got it um, dealt with was actually through the legal, um, with the with the, the trademark issues and so forth. Um, but yeah, in terms of a, a, an easy attack vector, just create a, a fake app, upload it, um, start phishing employees and, and tell them this is the new way of connecting remotely and see who, who bites. Pretty clever. You know, uh, um, you speaking pull, of attacking... You, you pull, sorry, DNZ, can you pull VPN credentials from, uh, I don't know about iOS, but on Android? Could, if you had code execution, could you pull uh, plain text VPN credentials out of the preferences oh no i don't know uh, no um i think there's a internal key like there's internal keychains so on us right so like yeah there's like start... i'm just thinking from meterpreter and metasploit has like an android um apk interpreter 
Uh, I haven't used it very much, but I have a feeling that recovering key store is at least one of its modules, which you would then. Yeah, you can recover Google Auth tokens just with ADB, but um, but yeah, reminded me another another Azimuth thing because they they do crazy work. Um, so Mark presented at uh, Ruxcon a few years ago his malware drop. Um, so if you're going to penetrate like an IOS corporate network, this is like gold if they're vulnerable to it. Um, and malware drop, like I'm going to describe this very crudely, but I sat through the talk and obviously if you don't know who like this guy is, he's like an ultra smart man from uh, the 90s that continued to be ultra smart until this day. And um, he had created a, a bug chain on IOS where, so by by sending in the way it worked was uh, you would you would airdrop somebody a file, and the way that it was handled in IOS was that airdrop would um, accept the file, like would download the file before the user accepted it. Um, then using this method that apparently now everybody thinks is a big deal, but it's been around for a long time. It extracts itself to an. Uh, was able, he was able to extract it to an arbitrary location on the disk, including, um, you know, like through through the the whole zip thing that people have been talking about. Um, and then I can't remember exactly how it was done, but he actually was able to replace like phone dot app. Um, and then after the springboard restarts, so I can't remember if he crashed the springboard or if he just waited for the user to restart. The, their springboard, um, which is the the GUI sort of like launcher interface on on iOS, um, phone dot app is now the malicious malware without the user ever accepting this airdrop. So by being having like Bluetooth turned on and being in range, you could just airdrop, you know, go go to airdrop, send your payload goes through. They run phone dot app. Malicious thing is running on corporate device. And like that was that was I thought that was pretty elite. That's that's pretty, pretty elite in my books. MG, have you got any um fun stories about your airdrop antics on the public transport system? I mean, none of them are you know skill oriented. It's basically just raw trolling. Um, but yeah, what's yeah, the best what's the best story you got? Like the most like what the fuck? <laughs> um. Okay. So let's see. There's, there's, there's a few things you can do. I've, I've got um, images that are kind of crafted to look like they are Apple notifications because when, when you are airdrop something, you immediately get a preview of the at least the first image sent to you. So you don't have a choice. You're going to see whatever somebody's sending you. So that's uh, that's what I tend to use. And, and, and the first one um, that I, I like to send is, uh, hey, Apple has detected you know, some malicious activity. We would like to temporarily disable airdrop for you know an hour, and that'll get a lot of people to accept it. And behind it, you can you know slide a bunch of extra images, get them to download it. But I found um, a lot of people will put at least their first name, if not their first and last name, uh, as their device name, which shows up in the airdrop recipients of anybody nearby. So, using basic OSINT skills, you know, go around and figure out whatever you can about that person, whether where they work, what their spouses are, what their children are, um, and you can send them back to the person. Um, sometimes if you can't figure out who they are, um, you've just you know, got to like, oh, this is Frank's phone, but get nothing about them. You can kind of get them to uh, 
visually identify themselves by sending uh, shit over to them like, hey, I'm directly behind you, turn around, um, and look, look who turns around. Um, and I think it was today or yesterday, I realized you can get people to do a lot more than that if you keep escalating it. Um, I won't go into too much detail there, but um, you, you can get somebody to do like half the fucking Macarena on uh, BART and, you know. Uh, wow. Just, yeah. <laughs> you can just be generally bored, right? Um, none of this is a hacker shit. It's just I'm fucking bored on the train on my hour ride home. Yeah, I, I could see. Fun. I could see how you could use that. Like, if you were to, if you were targeting in a red team scenario, and you're following uh, employees to a cafe or something, and they had airdrop turned on, yeah, some tricks. You could do some tricks but there. I think also um, bringing it back down to the Bluetooth level as well. Like, once you identify like the person, even if you know, like, uh, if they're blue, if they have airdrop off or whatever. So I don't know about you guys, but I turn that thing the fuck off. Um, and I turn Bluetooth off as well, but I mean, uh, you know, if you can have their, their, if their Wi-Fi is on or their Bluetooth is on and you've now linked a couple of these things together, you know, you can start getting them from sort of range. Like it's pretty scary. Hell yeah. Well, Hey guys, it's getting kind of late and I wanted to let Pico real quick. If he's around, um, just say a couple words on what he had said. We can definitely get into it more on Sunday too. But he had just written up a, some, I'll post it in the chat, some like security concepts of like basically ways to lock down your phone, like a quick like run list of how to do it. And he also made a bunch of GIFs, which I was really impressed by that are show you exactly how to do a lot of the stuff we tell people, you nice. know, do to, to, to actually secure their phone. So you can airdrop those to people. Yeah, yeah, you can airdrop the GIFs on how to, <laughs> how to lock your phone up. So, you there? Yes, yes. Hi, hi. Yo, uh, it's funny you were mentioning uh, airdrop and identifying people by their first and last name because I've seen that similar with Bluetooth, just kind of walking around the city and then you find somebody's first and last name and kind of roll from there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, um, I went through Android settings, particularly, I believe, 8.1 Android on my phone. I it sh It serves as a good guideline. Unfortunately, they like to change it up a decent bit but i think yeah. if you're in settings and you search for the flow of the things you should find them uh, mm -hmm. the biggest one outside of device settings is actually going into the camera and going into settings to actually say turn off my gps completely yep i find that a lot cleaner than like trying to remember to turn it on or off or not yeah so that's a huge thing that people don't realize a lot of the times is that Sometimes phones will just embed that sort of metadata about your like, exact GPS coordinates, especially if you have a location turned on, then it's, it's pretty precise um, of where the, the camera app was taken. And actually, Hermit, I think it found something with people's phones being automatically upload or uploading stuff to Google um, based on location, um, or it'll suggest that you upload a phone or a picture to say, oh, do you want this to be on the Google's you know, page about it? It has to do with the Yelp app. Oh, the Yelp app has to do with it, yeah. They really do it in Google Maps as well. If you, if you use Google Photo, if you use Google Photo Sync, uh, it'll recognize like, oh, you were in this cafe at this time and you took a photo of some food. Can we use this? Yes or no? Yep, they just <laughs> take it. We found some weird, like, uh, like, like uh, 
what is it, like upskirt pictures that someone well, had taken? <laughs> not a full out upskirt picture, but it was basically just a picture of like a lady from like the waist down in line at like CVS. And it was like uploaded to the Yelp listing. And obviously the person wouldn't have intentionally done it. But yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, um, Pico, any other uh, um, stuff to kind of point on to for your guide? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to read it uh, point for point, but definitely yeah. uh, lock screen and security is huge. There's a yeah. lot of stuff buried in those subscreens. Everybody touched on like the biometrics, face, iris, or fingerprints pretty much being trash authentication. Yep. And going with uh, just straight up go with a password, typically a complex password. You'll cringe a little bit on your lock screen because it'll allude to the fact that you use numbers and letters. So, like, just have strong game if you have to put in the wrong password for whatever reason. Uh, buried away, too. I believe it is um, after 15 bad passwords, it'll start the wipe of your phone. If you need that to happen, uh, you're going to need to be pretty quick. And um, looking through here, there is a little bit of uh, buried away, find my mobile anti-theft stuff. And the general gist of those seems to be remote controls to track the phone, uh, be it, in my case, through Samsung or through Google. And then it, you can do like a uh, holy crap help beacon based on low battery life that it'll send out the last location. Buried away, you can also encrypt your SD card, but your trade-off you get is that uh, if you try to, if you put your phone back to default, you're pooched. I would imagine yeah. you could probably grab your key if you were digging, but out the gate, I wouldn't. I don't see that as uh, being too friendly to recover from. Yeah. What the other big thing too is the uh, Google Location Services. You want to talk about that a little bit? Um. Yes. Uh, Google Location Services, particularly like stepping away from the security of it all. If you leave it on all the time, it's going to slaughter your battery life especially if you're on transit. But um, the location breakdown seems to be like core GPS location. And then uh, namely you have your uh, Google location history, mm -hmm. which, and then you have your location sharing, which it actually has an ambiguous title of you can share your real time location with somebody of Google. I don't know if that's alluding to Hangouts or what that's talking about, but uh <laughs> The history I've definitely trended. I used to commute quite a bit, and I pretty uh, adamantly went to turn my GPS history off when I was in transit. However, I do believe that the Google location history, besides like showing you some really nasty charts when you go into their buried control panel, you will also see it looks like bounce back from the towers. I mean, I could have forgot to turn my GPS off that day, but I had a pretty funky line basically along the commute route when yeah, I was yeah. traveling. A lot of stuff you can disable from the shell too, like ADB, shell, AM, and then like, you know, Android intent action. You learn how to do a lot of stuff from the shell and there's, there's so much more to the phone than even the, the uh, graphical user interface has to it. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I get suspended, I, or, uh, <laughs> suspicious of the graphic interface sometimes, particularly like airplane mode. And uh, when I had some older iPhones too, I kind of feel like, what was it? I have a 4S and it has this nuance. I can put it in airplane mode, but if Wi-Fi was on previously, it'll just kind of like keep going on Wi-Fi anyway. And I'm like, eh. 
Yeah. Those are a lot of tricky settings, and I think that it's definitely good for people to, like, take a second to, like, actually, like, even right now, you guys all probably have your phones within. Well, like if you're on a phone remotely, like, say you want to enable the camera, how do you do that from the command line? I don't know. I mean, there's there's ways to do that depending on what they have installed in their phone. You have I to, mean, like, uh, figure out what that is. It could be a term mean, like that's easy. It's not, it's, it's not that hard, but, I mean, that's the way you should be thinking is how do people do that from command line? When they're on your phone remotely, what sort of command uh, lines are they issuing to enable these things? How do you prevent how them would you, from How would you turn on a web, webcam on, a, on an Ubuntu on a laptop? How would you access the webcam from a command line? It's pretty is much it, the same. There you go. Yeah, so, but it's like, it. probably a device like a slash dev slash webcam. I mean, it's it is that simple on Android. Sometimes it's it's Linux based. Um, if you want to access a microphone, there's a device. If you want to access a speaker, there's a device. Yeah, um, there's all these permissions and objects you can reference, and 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 like if you have an app that is already backdoored and has those permissions, then it's easy to do that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that makes me think as well, like, um, so when we're talking about, like, uh, webcams, like, you know, a webcam has a firmware that interacts with the driver, um, and your little light goes on on your, on your desktop webcam, there's no, and, you know, a lot of people who, who write sort of backdoors disable that light, but you don't have to do that on a phone. Um, and if you, you know, like, how much space is there to maybe air gap via those kind of uh, peripherals inside of a phone as well? That's something I haven't really seen explored either. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more to get into, but it's getting pretty late. We're kind of like actually half an hour longer than we normally are. So um, I'm definitely going to have to just call it. Um, but thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back on, on Sunday uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern or America slash New York time zone. So if you have any other things to come talk about, you can feel free to come You know, DM us at the crowd. Uh, tweet at us if you want to come talk with us, if you have any projects to share, um, if you have any tips and tricks. So we're kind of just going to have more of a casual talk about it for Sweet. Sunday. Yo, last blurt. Uh, if you okay, suspect yep. the phone is owned, go through the uh, settings and go through the apps and look for anything you don't recognize. Most system stuff won't let you disable it, but you'll find a lot of wonky things in there. Yeah. And you can force kill them, but there's a lot of junk. Absolutely. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, we'll see you guys on Sunday. And yeah, thanks. Peace.